Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, the new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Though thy getting an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live. At several locations, you can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the home page, and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening, and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming at abb2me.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's ABI. B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening. They broadcast out of Ghana. You catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In the TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream your program live. Even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream or the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening media is there. Also full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the bb to me Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And uh, our guest this evening scheduled to join us in conversation, author and professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco, Dr. James Lance Taylor, is scheduled to join us in conversation this evening black independent political formations as an alternative to the lesser two evils will be part of the discussion among, uh, amongst other topics. And you can join us for those topics at 
215 join in the discussion at 215-490-9832 that's 215-490-9832 we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors Mr. Moderator our distinguished guests brothers and sisters our friends and, and our enemies Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. 
history tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.13 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm looking um, looking forward to um, engaging our, in our conversation um, with Dr. Taylor. I think it's a lot that we can... Um, build on based off of what we've been developing so far in our conversation around black politics, independent black politics, and on where we are right now. You know, it ought to be interesting discussion to kind of follow up on uh, the discussion we had uh, around the uh, black political convention in Newark coming up in uh, August, Richard, uh, the the independent uh, black political uh, convention uh, in Pittsburgh. That's uh, Coming up very soon, I'm going to read that announcement, too, on the program. So it's a lot of things happening. And with the disillusion of our people in the Democratic Party, it's been that way. Uh, They had a little bump uh, during the Obama administration, but the disillusionment of our people in politics in general and the Democratic Party in particular, it's fertile ground uh, for some type of independent movement. Um, and if you look at our history, Richard, and uh, you've talked about this on several occasions before, uh, some of the early movements in the late 19th century, early 20th century uh, with the African-American League, the Afro-American League, the Niagara Movement, and others, uh, attempts at independent movements leading up to uh, Lowndes County and also the uh, uh, Black Political Convention in Gary in 72. Uh, I think all of those things is a progression of something that needs to happen. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's see how our guest feels about this, and we can talk about this and other topics with our guest, author, professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco. Dr. James Lance Taylor is with us in discussion this evening. Dr. Taylor, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Elliot. Thank you for having me back on. Time for Glad to have you back with myself and Brother Richard. How you doing, Dr. Yes, good to have you. Good to, good to be in dialogue with you. Dr. Taylor, um, to expand on the discussion, I heard you on call, Nelson, the other day, uh, talking about uh, uh, black folks' disillusionment with uh, the Biden administration and the Democratic Party. But I wanted to kind of shift the gears and turn it towards something that you touched on in the conversation, which is black uh, independent political formations. Um, if you look at our history, uh, even before we had the quote unquote right to vote, uh, we were moving towards political formations, ways to govern ourselves in areas where we were not. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. If you're asking me, 
you, I think you went out, but if you did you finish your question? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I, I think the book that might inform our conversation is Harold Cruz's uh, book, um, Plural But Equal, uh, written in 1987. Uh, he's well known for the book written 20 years earlier, The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual. But in Plural But Equal, Harold Cruz basically acknowledges that America is a nation of nations, a nation of national minorities, a plurality. And he advocated for pluralism, pluralism, which is basically proportionality. And most of the early parties, um, you, know, uh, you know, advocated for some kind of proportional representation, uh, going back as far as, you know, Frederick Douglass. But, but others advocated for um, proportional representation. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a long history of pre-World War II Black organizing against both parties at the local level. Um, and most of these parties were unsuccessful largely because of the, you know, the, the sort of colonial circumstance in which we're trying to perform it. I think black people in America have abandoned the question of their colonial relationship to America. They've looked at it purely as a relationship of a citizenship. Um, but, you know, prior to the, the civil war, uh, really prior to the, 1965-64 C- Civil Rights Act, um, that was an open question, right? Blacks understood themselves in different ways as a nation within a nation. Um, Martin Delaney and others advocated complete withdrawal and separation. Others advocated for the formation of political parties within the system. And that pattern was consistent throughout the 19th century and into the 20th century, uh, William Monroe Trotter in Boston uh, created, uh, you know, his own organization uh, that you that you just mentioned. Um, and as recently as you mentioned early, earlier in the lead, both in Alabama and Mississippi, black women and men created independent black organizations to use in different ways. One. For, as an organizing principle within the black community. That was its first calling was to get us together, to advocate our policy positions, and then to engage with the, the party system, whether challenging the Democrats <clears throat> or running independent uh, candidates. We abandoned this because much like everything else that Howard Cruz uh, uh, explains, the Great Depression of World War II largely rendered us ignorant of our history beforehand. Happened. That's how Cruz argues uh, um, that we went into the Great Depression in World War II fully mobilized as a people nationally. Garveyism everywhere. Harlem everywhere. Everywhere was Harlem. We call Harlem of the West San Francisco, but everywhere in America, wherever black people were, in that time was called Harlem. It was all Harlem. Why? Because it was this sort of perfect storm, the zeitgeist or the, the, the sort of spiritual awakening of black consciousness. And it was black power without the language of black power. And then black power in the 60s is nothing but the child of black power from the new Negro movement uh, uh, earlier. But all of these different efforts were attempted, independence. Black people were not thinking the two parties were their route. They understood both parties were racist. One was racist in one way and one was racist in another. 
And that is still true. That both parties are anti-Black American. Both of the American major parties, and I'm a major political scientist in the country. I wrote my dissertation on Black independent politics. My, 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 my dissertation at USC was entitled Black Political, I think I have it here somewhere. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it was called Black Politics uh, in Transition, from protests to politics to political neutrality with a question mark. So we had gone through protests with King. We would move to uh, politics with the passage of the 65 Voting Rights Act, where we had an increasing number of Black elected officials, and both still remained inadequate. So then I asked the question, because I'm challenging acad- existing academic arguments, and then I asked the question, will we be moving toward political neutrality or independence because of our dissatisfaction with other stages of black politics involvement with these other entities. And Cruz argues the same thing in plural but equal. Harold Cruz says that if black America had not formed an independent party by the year 2000, he says this in 1987, open the book and read it. He says in 1987, if we have not created a black political party by the year 2000, We've reached the end of black politics. And he was prophetic because we already have reached the end of black politics. What we're doing now is democratic politics. That's not black politics. Black politics required a black political party. And that was the logic of everything black people were doing throughout the movement. King should have been moving towards a party. Huey should have been moving towards a party. Ella understood we needed a party and she created one. In Alabama and Loudoun's County, they created one. Huey and the Panthers looked from Oakland over to Loudoun's County, and they they borrowed the Panther, but did not borrow the logic of the Panthers in Alabama. The Black Panther parties of Alabama existed first, then Oakland, and they borrowed the label only, but not the independent party mindset they had. And they went through this whole phase of confusion around what they were ideologically nationalist, uh, 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 revolutionary nationalists. Um, black revolutionary, you know, on and on. And then they end up in the position that they should have started in, which was running for office in Oakland, trying to gain power in Oakland when Elaine Brown and Bobby Seale ran for office very effectively, mind you. Uh, they finally came, the Panthers, to where they should have uh, at least also included in their program trying to dominate Oakland instead of trying to be the revolutionary vanguard to all of the left in the black movement, the Panthers should have, and again, it's easy for me to Monday Monday morning quarterback. I wasn't there. But they did come to realize, and this is Cruz's analysis of it. This is Cruz talking about the Panthers in Oakland. Cruz argues that they um, got caught up in the wrong things, that they finally mature when they understand that gaining power in Oakland through the party system, um, through the electoral system, excuse me, uh, was a was a was the was the way of gaining power in all black cities. The the problem the Panthers I think created in Oakland, where I am, is they didn't give us an example that they took from Alabama. Alabama showed them a party. They took the symbol and revolutionized and made radical the symbol of the of, of the Alabama party, the Panther. Right, even 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 um, the, the the name self for self defense was borrowed from Monroe, Louisiana. So both of these the influences on the Panthers are Alabama and Louisiana movements, and the Panthers don't get the understanding from the Alabama movement 
that it was required that they form into a political party. So even when they do figure out that Oakland, uh, establishing power in Oakland, trying to um, gather the apparatus of power and the tools of government so you can do things that you can do with the tools of government, um, you know, they, they had gone into different directions. And the Panthers came full circle when Elaine Brown almost won city uh, council and Bobby Seale um, caused a runoff for mayor because he performed so well. And then the Democrat, then the Black Panthers got behind Lionel Wilson to be Oakland's first Black mayor. The, the Black Panther Party should have left us an example. The Black Panther Party of Oakland should have run in 1973. If, if they didn't do what I said before in terms of their focus on Oakland, first, how they do the Befix programs. That's why they do the sickle cell testing, because they alienated themselves from the black community of Oakland. And Huey says this in two articles called Defecting the Black Community, how the Black Panther Party defected the black community. And that's when they start doing the programs to reconnect to the black community, because they got so caught up in socialism and Europe, Europe and Cuba and China and not Oakland. So when they come back to the programs, that's when they understand the importance of Oakland. And that's when they also begin to run for part, uh, office. Um, but they should have done that also as the Black Panther Party. There should be a Black Panther Party in Oakland running every year whenever there's an election. For the last 60 years, we should have had a Black Panther Party in Oakland. But the Panthers, Bobby Seale is still walking around in Oakland. So is Elaine Brown. So is... Um, uh, 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 so is... Kathleen Cleaver, not Kathleen Cleaver, but a bunch of others uh, uh, from the Panthers are still in Oakland. They never left the example that they got from Alabama for us, and they had a, m a much wider platform. And again, if, if, I, if, if I'm Monday morning quarterbacking, the reality is they do come back to that position of, of actually running for office in Oakland. But again, they didn't do it as the Panthers. And if they had done it as the Panthers, we would have an apparatus in place now in Oakland that could be a model for other cities to do the same thing, challenge both political parties, forcing them to our positions on, you know, policing or healthcare or juvenile justice or, or, or the environment to our positions. Um, unfortunately, it all comes to a crashing halt when Jesse Jackson decides to run in 1984 against Ron Walters' advice to run as an independent candidate. If Jesse had run as an independent candidate or if the Black Panthers had formed into a political party, we would be probably 50 years further or 30 years further, respectively, along the line than we are. Right now, we're starting from scratch. We have all of these independent parties um, on online. You can Google and you'll see half of them are, are, you don't even know if they really exist, who the people are, who's connected. I, I have a whole, I have all the names here. I wrote all the names down. I'm an academic, so I do my research. I sat here and wrote all the names, everything I found online, all these independent entities. And I'm not trying to discredit any of them. The point is, um, we have not had the formulation of a coherent party strategy that we can use against the two major strategy, uh, parties and against Latinos, and against Asians, and against gays, the LGBTQ community, in the interest of our own politics. We have to realize a political party for Black people, first of all, is likely to be the most democratic, just party in history. The one party that is a party for all. That would be 
a black party would actually end up being the most democratic party in American history, meaning it would be with a small D, not capital D. It would be for democracy because black people are America's democracy. And that's what the 1619 Project is trying to make argue, that we have been the democracy. Elliot, you can Google an article published in The Atlantic recently. It's called The Forgotten Black Founding Father, and everyone should read it. It documents, it documents how... Repeat that again, uh, Dr. Um, Taylor. The founder of Black... Say this again? Repeat that, repeat that uh, title of the article again. Oh, it's okay, yes. yes. It's called The Forgotten Black Founding Father. Prince Hall in the 1700s. You know what? Um, you're breaking up, Dr. Taylor. We might have to um, maybe to get you to call in on your phone because you're breaking up on your computer. Revolution. And I don't think you can. In the you. article, in the article, it explains that when Jefferson and Franklin and uh, uh, one other came together and wrote the preamble to the Declaration of Independence and the Declaration of Independence, that they never applied it to social justice. They never applied it to the people. When I say we, they they never applied the Declaration of Independence to social justice for anybody in society. It was merely a military declaration and manifesto of independence, a war declaration. It was never about the rights and equality of Americans in the white man's hands. He who wrote it had slaves. That's why you, he's not even contradicting himself because he's not even thinking about Negroes or other people. He's only talking to King George and the British Parliament. But uh, and, and you know and, and and yet it was Prince Hall that article argues who took the preamble from the Declaration of Independence and for the first time applied it to black people's social justice issues. So when I say we are the democracy, I mean literally you cannot find the word anywhere in America's documents. And when you find a concept in the document called the Declaration of Independence, they never applied it to us as they owned our ancestors. But one of our ancestors who was free of Massachusetts, Prince Hall, took that same document. He is the one that deserves credit for it being used throughout history by black people. And that's the deep thing that black America does not know. There's a direct genealogy from Prince Hall all the way to Barack Obama, not because Obama is righteous or deserves to be connected to this history. It's because black people throughout their history in their social justice program, at least their elites and articulate speakers, from David Walker's appeal to... um the speeches of Maria Stewart in Boston right at the same time to the speeches of Frederick Douglass's What to the Negro is Your Fourth of July to the Panther, the, uh, to the Nation of Islam's What the Muslims Want, What the Muslims Need to back to that, uh, David Walker's appeal all the way up to Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, where he actually mathematically dates in the speech 20 years from Lincoln. He, King does a device in the speech where he mathematically dates the day, uh, August 28, 1963, back to uh, Abraham Lincoln when he says four score and 20. 
That's Lincoln. In, uh, but what Lincoln does at that time that King's referring to in I Have a Dream, Lincoln dates the emancipation, I'm sorry, the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln dates it back to 1776, not 1787 when the Constitution is born, but 1776, which makes the 4th of July uh, important and, and independence. So Lincoln reconceives America in a new way, a new modality. I'll get, we'll get but Lincoln uh, reconceives America in a new way. Fathers created. So Lincoln is. You know what, Dr. Taylor? Can you hear me? Dr. Taylor? This, this political condition, by promoting de- democratic principles throughout their speeches, the Panthers in the 10 point plan advocate for the, 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 the Declaration of Independence. Barack Obama, in his uh, inauguration speech, cites the Declaration of Independence. Throughout Black people's history, whether left radical, center, or more conservative, the Declaration of Independence has always been the Black manifesto of Black people's freedom in America, at least in the mainstream of Black politics, not so much on the margins, but even the Panthers advocated and included the the Declaration of Independence. David Walker Declaration of Independence. It's always been single manifesto. And my point to you. You know what? We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back. But they yeah. advocate for the Declaration of Independence more. And in fact, Garrison and Garrett Smith, the direction of abolitionism. Let me let me put him on hold. We're gonna we're gonna take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll try to uh, uh, get a better line so we uh, we can kind of continue the discussion. Doctor Taylor, uh, you're breaking up. So what we're gonna do? Oh, okay. I'm gonna see if you can can you get on your phone because you're breaking up on on your computer. Oh, I, I sure can. What we'll, we'll do? We'll take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, you can get involved too in the discussion by dialing two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation with author, professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco, Dr. James Lance Taylor. The topic, black independent political formations as an alternative to the lesser of two evils. Again, you can join us in discussion, 215-490-9832. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. Since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. 
The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we, who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, dedi have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor, we're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. The, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Because you're a chump. A political chump. The party that you best controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you, because you're a chump. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government, and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time, and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 7.43 here in the city of Philadelphia, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, author, professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco, Dr. James Lance Taylor is with us. The topic, or one of the topics, of black independent polit polit political formations as an alternative to the lesser of two evils. And again, you can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Dr. Taylor, you with us? Yes, yes, I am. Good, 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 good. Um, l let's go back. Dr. Taylor, you uh, mentioned just before the break, because uh, you were breaking up slightly, but I want to go okay. back to something you said earlier. When you were talking about some of our early political formations, 
right. uh, was dealing with the t- uh, topic or the colonial relationship to our people and this government right. at the time. Right. Uh, things have changed for black people because now they see themselves as citizens. That's right. the part that I want to kind of, before I pass the mic to brother Richard, I want you to expand on that because me and Richard talk about this in different topics on time for an awakening. And that therein lies the problem. I think that it's still not, I think I know that it's still a colonial relationship between blacks in America and white society, but blacks see themselves as citizens, but I don't think the majority of, of, of white folks and the white power structure ever recognize blacks as citizens, even though they put it in the, quote-unquote, Constitution. Talk about that a little bit before I pass it back to Brother Richard. No, absolutely. I think, you know, there's several angles to this. One is, mathematically, everything before Dred Scott, 1857, black people don't even count outside of, you know, in America being slaves, right? So we we were not a part of this thing that they had created here. Um, we were here, but we were not even factored in to a constitution yet. We're, that's 160 years away. Um, there's a book by a, a, a professor named Robert Blauner, B-L-A-U-N-E-R. He died not long ago. Um, he wrote a book called Racial Oppression. This book has a whole chapter to the colonial thesis that Harold Cruz and the Black Power Movement activists and theorists were trying to theorized, including Stokely Carmichael, because they understood the unresolved colonial relationship of black people to America. Black people were like the 14th out of the 13 colonies. Black people were effectively a 14th colony that never had its colonial relationship resolved. And then it turned into a racial one. And so we keep trying to resolve our problem racially when we really were a separate entity in America from everything else that was including Native Americans. We were separate from everybody else. We were not considered a part of America. The general understanding is that we were a nation within a nation. That becomes the main thesis for black nationalism in the 19th and 20th century. But before that, going back even before Prince Hall, I'm arguing that the um, black colonialists in the colonies chose to fight on the side of the British, just like the Native Americans did. 5,000 black men fought on the side of the British in the Civil War and the American Revolution, and 500 fought on the side of the Americans, and many of them were forced. So 10 times more black men fought on the side of England in America against the colonial, the, the colonies. Effectively, England had the Native American and black, you know, colonies lined up against the the 13 colonies and they were on the losing side so we are actually behind enemy lines in that sense but also you know john brown was clear that slavery itself was a condition of war and and we've never been allowed to resolve that aspect of our reality is that we are contrabands of war of europe on africa and and the west indies and and transported here so the, the, the part of the reason why we can't figure out what our racial situation is is because it's not entirely racial; it's also colonial. Um, and I'm not the, the, the you know again the, 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 I've given you the scholarship. Um, 
Huey theorized around the colonial uh, rate, uh, nature of, of black relations, right? Um, the colonial, the, the internal colon, the internal colony thesis is what you would search online, on Google, uh, or Google Scholar. Look for the internal colony thesis, and that's where you'll get the scholarship on this argument that I'm making about black people being an unresolved colony. Um, and that's why we can't really figure out race. Like Martin Luther King talking about, I have a dream. Well, he's, he's, he's the wrong man uh, for what we needed. We didn't need someone trying to persuade America about how to get us integrated into America. In fact, they didn't listen to him. They, after he was killed, we just sort of came into the system at, at the dripple of his blood and the burning of 140 cities. That's how we were integrated into America. Nobody championed integration outside of a few Democrats in the, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the liberal Democrat, I mean, sorry, actually some moderate Republicans in the 1960s. Um, so, you know, Dred Scott told us, uh, you know, so then, so everything before Dred Scott, we're something separate for at least 200 years. From 1619 to 1857, I'll give you the math. At least for that math, from 1619 to 1857, even though we know it goes back further to 1555, Right? Um, so 1857, um, from 1619 to 1857, black people are something different than, they're not, they're, they're, they're separate from everything. Then when the court takes it up as a question in 1857, they confirm these people are not citizens. The fugitive slave law was expanded and the court argued that a black man had no rights that a white man was bound to respect. That became the law. It acknowledged that blacks were not American citizens by law. It was not even controversial. There's no two sides to this. That was the law. And the finding of the court, it stayed in place until 1868 when the um, 14th Amendment is passed, right? Uh, and, and so um, for that 11 years, again, I'm arguing backwards before 1857, but at least from 1857 until um, 1868, when the 14th Amendment is passed, we are considered by the court non-citizens for at least a decade after Dred Scott. So we still aren't in America. We're still being called something separate. And they understood that we were part in part a colonial uh, uh, situation. And so black folks are confused the West Indian is not confused. The West Indian knows he was transported here and colonized. And they, are, they know they're not from Jamaica. They know they're not from Dominican Republic. They know they're not from Cuba. Oh, actually, Cuba, they might be, uh, the, you know, the indigenous. So let me, let me be clear with that, you know, uh, the Caribe. Um, uh, but th they know they're not from, say, Puerto Rico or from uh, Brazil. They were transported by the Europeans. And now some of them are so nationalistic that you would think they, like, the, you, know, came, you know, came with the land. But that's part of the foolishness that Malcolm said that so much, uh, you know, spread in so, in so many different directions in our people is that we end up becoming more in love with the countries we're in uh, than our predicament and trying to resolve it uh, in, a, in a particular way. So I'm arguing that at least for 11 years, if not for everything before 1857, black people were legally a non-citizen, non-independent uh, entity. We were something separate, but not independent. And um, the court resolved that, the Congress resolved that with the 14th Amendment and then other uh, congressional acts. Um, and so again, you know, 
what the internal colony thesis tried to promote um, was this question of how do we relate to um, America as a colony? And that's why, you know, Elliot, white people in America are completely deluded about who they are. They really believe they're from America. They really believe they're from here. That, that, that's part of the, that's a, that's the other side of the same coin is we don't recognize our colonial predicament because the white people have forgotten their own. They ain't from here. The book by Cornell West, 1982, Prophesied uh, Deliverance, makes it clear when he's critiquing Du Bois' double consciousness that black Americans have more of an issue than any other black people anywhere else in the world because unlike all other black people all over the world, the white man who oppressed him left him alone and went back to his home. The Jamaicans, the British, Haiti, the French, Brazil, the Portuguese, their neo-colonial arrangements continue to rule economically and politically and penally, but they at least left physically. We and the South Africans and the Australians and, 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 and you know, are, are you, and the Brazilians to some extent um, are uniquely situated in these racial social orders where much of our predicament is a result of colonialism. And we can't figure out how to get out of it. King's talking about a dream when he should have been adopting the internal colony thesis. And as brilliant as King was, he should have articulated it. But he did not because a good Christian preacher has to preach white-black unity and uh, reconciliation rather than justice. And this is the problem of the entire black movement and it was a choice made by black bourgeoisie, as Stokely Carmichael called them corrupt in Africa, is that the entire black movement built itself on the 14th Amendment equal protection because the white NAACP had that focus. And they ignored the most important document that they can use against America eternally, which was the 13th Amendment. Our movements never focused on the 13th Amendment. They went out of their way to seek equality through equal protection rather than justice. Who ends up with equality and justice with this approach of the 14th Amendment over the 13th Amendment? I'll tell you who. Look at a case called um, Dartmouth in the 1800s earlier. It talked about the, the property, the, the way in which corporations can be, become persons. You move on and look at the slaughterhouse cases of 1873. The 14th Amendment is not being used for us. It's being used to make corporations into people. That's the bait and switch of the 14th Amendment. It was raised for our um, citizenship, and it gets used not for us until 1965. For 95 years, it's used for corporations to make them persons, to give them personhood. So they took a people who they call three-fifths human and made a law for them to give them citizenship and then ends up giving humanity to a corporation. That's the devil bait and switch that happened with the 14th Amendment. And people like Whitney Young and others went out of their way, Elliot, to ignore the social justice implications of the 13th Amendment. Gays can't get in the 13th Amendment. Women can't get in the 13th Amendment unless they're black. Um, uh, Corporations can't get in the 13th Amendment. Everybody in American history, beginning with the slaughterhouse cases from 1873 on, used the 14th Amendment for equal protection for everything except us. <laughs> and that was the tragic, strategic, I think, error and philosophical error of our movement is we ignored the social justice. In other words, the 13th Amendment says, America, you held us as slaves and you know you did and there ain't no two sides to it. And gays 
Native Americans, Jews, whoever else you can think of cannot get into the 13th Amendment, but everybody got into the 14th Amendment but us. And Richard, jump in here. <laughs> so I, I, Dr. Taylor, um, you, uh, you laid the historical foundation um, for the basis of two Americas, right? I mean, that, you know, I, I, and, and, and that's, that's something that we're unclear of. Um, as we, if we really understood our political history, we would be clearer of that. Um, the, the other thing in raising, um, Harold Cruz for me, which I looked at because he dealt with the culture aspect. He dealt with the non, non-economic liberalism aspect. And he also raised the point that you're raising in relationship to scholarship, the crisis of the Negro intellectual that, you know, what, what you're raising, if this was the basis of those in the academy continuing to develop from that framework, then we would be clear that it wouldn't even, the 1619 project wouldn't even be an issue um, instead of uh, aberration, right? Right. And it would come from journalists, it would come out of the academy itself. Um, But can I shift shift for a minute? Because um, in listening, one thing that um, I wanted to follow up on uh, a prior conversation you had and looking at the demographics, uh, right. and I'm, I'm specifically um, a couple of, you know, maybe two. One is Gen Z, right? Um, and I recognize that you have done polling or you do polling. So I'm, I'm interested, one, in just how they are, because there's, Elliot had um, informed us about the Urban League's report, and he makes the, in there, they make the point that, um, the whole thing of Gen Z not wanting to vote because of the positions that you said. How do you see um, um, them? You know, what is the polling saying about Gen Z? And I have follow-up yes. clarity. Yeah, they were the group that led the, 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 the drop-off of a presidential approval from Biden up into the low, up into the mid-80s, which is low. Biden started low. Um, and then it just tanked uh, by about 20 points that dropped down into the 60s, and Kamala Harris too. So all of this black girl magic and Howard and the sororities that uh, were used to mobilize support for her have not sustained enthusiasm, particularly amongst the young. Um, The young are more inclined, Gen Z uh, is more inclined for socialism than either of the two major parties. Um, Their first generation to actually be more favorite because this system is not working for them. And we see a lot of the white young people and other young people who are not black out in the streets during the George Floyd protests. That's what Bernie, Camp, Bernie Sanders' campaign has been about for over 10 years, is about how you know, education and the affordability and just middle class them, old things from the 50s and 60s and 70s, are now unattainable to this generation. So they've lost faith in this system. And then COVID came and, 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 and shortened their lives and disrupted their experience and put all of them, literally, their growth is literally stunted by two years in development from their normal programming that they would get for personal development around academics, at least. So it's devastating. Um, You know, the Democrats are not, you know, they're the lesser evil. And that's the problem of, of black politics in America and the politics of other minority groups in America is the two-party system really doesn't fit the needs of black politics in America. You know, and what that, what that said, excuse me, what, what that said, um, 
because I'm interested also looking at that demographics and that population and that mindset. And, and you spoke earlier about UE and them, and, and, and that was, you would say that the age group of that generation is the same of this age group. And if we go back right. to the six, I mean, the forties, you would see the same thing. You go back to the twenties, um, but, and they went to, they went the route of, of attempt the political formations that you spoke about, right? Over right. the time, that generational movement demographics that um, decided that the party, um, their disenfranchisement with the party um, recognized that they had to do something different politically and they, and uh, having a, a independent political formation. I'm asking, do you see that the Z generation Z is moving in that direction? That's a good question. I think the raw material is there, I, I, but I also thought it was in the hip hop generation. You know, I thought it was in the hip hop generation because in the book, Soul but equal that I started with, with Cruz, Again, I recommend people read it. He breaks down and says there's got to be a, there's going to be a new generation after the civil rights movement and black power movement generation. He predicted. He said, and they're going to rise up, and they're going to have to have an internal civil war within the black community, political community against faithful black Democrats. So it has to be a black on black political, you know, internal sorting out and and something new emerging. But we can't stay with what we got, Democrat dependent. And so an independent challenge to that would force the Democrat dependent element in black politics to at least, you know, disentangle um, themselves more. And so the idea would be, you know, um, it, you know, is that the two party system, you know, it, it, it can't meet our needs. We need to be advocating. You know, part of our politics right now in the 21st century should be advocating for a multi-party system. Like we are, we are, we are, we are the democracy of America. So that's what we should be advocating for. But right now we don't have that kind of vision because our, our talented tents, our bourgeoisie, um, are, are overwhelmingly, at least in terms of the political system. I'm not talking about, you know, academics or, you know, the, the, the nationalists or, you know, the, the you know, the, the prison advocacy type communities. Um, I'm talking about the, 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 you know, electoral politics. This is the one area of black life where black people who do participate show overwhelming unity. And there's no other area of life like it. There's not a single area of life compared that, that is as solidly black, that produces as much black unity as black partisanship does, other than black music. I would say black music is one, black partisanship. Think about this. On a bad day, the Democrat getting 86%, like Biden had approval, is bad. Hillary got 90, about 88% of the black vote. Gore got like 90%. Um, uh, you know, Mondale, about 89%, right? It, that's a lot of social unity. But if they don't get 93, 94, 95%, 96%, you know, it's not enough, right? But but uh, my point is the raw material for an independent entity or fulcrum, as Ronald Walters called it, F-U-L-C-R-U-M, fulcrum, um, you know, these ideas, brothers and sisters, have been fleshed out already. This work has already been done. We're really... We're really just having a history lesson here around what we know has already been done. We know Ella Baker and the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party existed. So we should be, and this is my problem with Black Lives Matter, is they started where the Panthers started, confronting the police after 60 years. It seems to me that they didn't learn the lesson that the Panthers had evolved to focus on the community 
civil society programs like sickle cell testing, schools, and other independent entities, right? Black Lives Matter, in my opinion, even though it was born out of this police emergency, and I'm in Oakland, so I know all about it, um, it made the mistake, I think, of beginning where the Panthers began rather than beginning where the Panthers ended. The Panthers ended focusing on the black community. Black, black Lives Matter wanted to liken itself to the Panthers in police you know, militancy as opposed to the, the civil society stuff. So now we've seen publicly they've been raised, they've raised over twenty million dollars, and what we've seen is a, a few houses purchased, right? Um, and what what should have been, you know, my point is, at some point, post Black Power, post Civil Rights Era generations have got to begin to show their own political initiative and maturity. So at what point, like hip hop failed? I thought the hip hop generation should have was the generation that would break from the Democrats. It broke from the church. It broke from the church. So why didn't it lead a, a march into an independent party? You have Puffy running around for multiple election cycles since voter died back in the day to recently talking about uh, our black political party. You can Google right now. There's a group called our black political party. There's a bunch of groups called, uh, there's another one called national black independent political party. There's another one called um, the, the Black Party. There's another one called the Independent Black Political Party. All of these things exist right now, but nobody knows it. But the problem is Black Lives Matter had the platform, and it would seem to me that they would begin as a political party or move in that direction or run candidates. And I'm not talking about DK, whatever his name is, with the blue vest, you know, in Baltimore, the gay brother trying to get famous with the stupid vest, that kind of nonsense. I'm talking about, you know, they, they supported Nina Simone. She lost uh, yes, uh, recently. Um, Nina, uh, Nina Turner, excuse me, Nina Turner. The Black Lives Matter, like the Black Panther Party, every generation that organizes fails to organize around politics. But you know, except to become, except to become good Democrats. But you know and what? That's, 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 go ahead. Yeah, but you know, Dr. Taylor, because it goes to, um, to one of the questions, but the, the framework that you raise about us being as a group, an internal colony, because in right. a, if we use that basis of that analysis and right. that there's a power struggle within the internal colony, which gets into this point of um, the black executives, super PAC, Charles Phillips and the, and the, um, just at the black economic Alliance, right? Right. Because they, right. they are the ones that are having the funds to support or lobby for particular candidates within the Democratic Party. So um, the question I have is, would you say that they have gotten um, victories that that, that group within the Democratic Party? Even oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and Mr. Griffin, you know, Otis Griffin submitted a question related to something I think I may have said in, in, con- in a different in a different context um, uh, on the Carl Nelson show about Clyburn. You know, I was admiring Clyburn just as a student of politics, as a student of political sciences, independent of any of our own politics in terms of his position as, you know, the third in power and wielding actual power. But that's a political scientist looking at a politician engaging. That's like a doctor studying cancer. It's like, you know, me studying 
a, a phenomenon, not so much me championing it. Right? I'm studying <laughs> this phenomenon. It's like it was like Ed Brooks in the in the sixties, fifties. It's like wow, this black Republican. Like what what is that? Right? A phenomenon, you know, or the first black woman senator like Carol Mosley Braun. Like what is that? You know, to look at it, but not to you know. I'm not celebrating it, Brother Griffin. What what I'm trying to do is acknowledge that blacks have wedded themselves to the political party. And I think what I said about Clyburn as, as you know, uh, um, it is consistent with this idea of, you know, it, it, the internal fight that has to happen within the black independent versus democratic uh, party dynamic. Again, this is plural but equal, Cruz saying that there has to be a civil war politically, not violence, but political civil war where the younger generations challenge the established political generations who are wedded to the existing arrangements. And that means, the, go ahead. No, I, I just would say to, to, to emphasize, and I'll turn it back to you, Elliot, but the, that point of that, because I agree with that, the assessment, but all of us are not, if we don't take the context that you raise of a colonial position, if we take the context that we're citizens and we're just being um, ignored compared to being a colonized people within a political structure, you know, um, our in, and and not deal with the political structure at ex, that is external, but the internal conflict, because that's what I'm concerned with. Because even those who are they're still pushing that we are making concessions um, more than we are at odds with each other based off of class and right. allegiance. And that's, I think that's most important. Allegiance to the dominant political party. They're not party, right. but to the dominant political establishment. Right. So and, and, that's yeah, we, where I think so, that the challenge is. Right, right. And, and then we have to talk about capitalism, right, and, and its ability to manipulate within that colonial arrangement. So that people get bought out and sold out all the time and corrupted. We, hmm. we see a lot of political corruption. Yes. Uh, you know, going back to the point of uh, Adam Clayton Powell, right? I'm not accusing him of the corruption they had charged him with, but I'm just saying, you know, someone like Charles Rangel, you know, any of our black elected officials, you know, end up, you know, we've, I can name him, you know, Kwame Kilpatrick. We can keep going on where you, you know, the sister in Rochester, you know, the mayor. You, you, you know, we end up having these, you know, political... Um, you know, first, and then they end up being, you know, you know, end up being short term and not sustaining. So elected politics, I think we need to put it in context, is just one of many areas that black people should be organizing around. I think what we need to recognize in the piece you put in with Stokely talking, when he talked about organizing, other than Bob Moses, I don't know if they're, I, 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 it's a probably exaggerated statement because I don't know the history of the labor union in detail, but other than Bob Moses, Stokely Carmichael was probably one of the best organizers ever. I mean, he's in Mississippi, he's in Alabama convincing semi-literate or illiterate blacks to just mark an X and, and, and put their life on the line. He, Stokely Carmichael was not just about pan-Africanism and rhetoric. Stokely Carmichael was a student who was an organizer, Yes, powerfully influenced by King more than anybody else. Nobody influenced him more than King. And he says that in his, in his book, that King was his number one influence. Why? Because King was also an effective organizer. Generation Z, I'm afraid, Brother Rick, Ricky, um, thinks that organizing is tweeting. 
right now mm-hmm. and responding in social media. And I don't want to urinate, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, mess up on their organizing because that's a, that's this, that's, that's now that's, that's, that, that's language for now and discourse for now, but we have to help them figure out how to use all of these efforts towards some kind of, I think, independent, um, Efforts, but I think it has to be local. It can't be national. I think we make a mistake if we try to do anything national. I think, like Stokely, like Stokely said, from the bottom up. I yes. think locally, from the bottom up. Like I said, the Panthers should have done Oakland and focus on how to gain political power in Oakland and then use the tools of government. Right now, I'm appointed to the San Francisco Reparations Committee. We're the largest city in America trying to do reparations. How? London Green didn't really have anything to do with it, but she's in power, and it gives everybody who's under her opportunity to open up this possibility. And so now they're, you know, we have the tools of government in San Francisco, and we're trying to defund the police. We're trying to get all kinds of things done. Black Wall Street, they're getting, you know, many different programs funded, black businesses funded, um, a number of things. But you have to be in political power to, right, and not be corrupt. We see, you know, Coleman Young in Detroit was an outstanding politician. You know, um, uh, uh, Marion Derry in Washington, D.C. was an outstanding politician. You know, we let white media tell us that he was, you know, a clown because they caught him in a low moment as if we hadn't caught, you know, the dude from Toronto and 20 of them, the mayor that died there and others, right, and Bill Clinton and others. We could talk about the immorality of all kinds of politicians, right? It's almost, you know, the same word. But, you know, they focus on Mary and Barry, low moment. But if you ask old black D.C. about Barry, Barry was like the pastor of that city that met the needs of the community. So you can have black politicians who end up becoming corrupt. Being black is not enough. What we need is a black agenda at the local level that prioritizes black people's interests against other interests. Here in San Francisco, for example, the Chinese community rose up against the black community and got rid of three people who got rid of all of the racist names in San Francisco schools on the Board of Education. Now, they did this when the city was taking down statutes. London Breed, the mayor, and I got to be careful because I'm appointed to a committee, <coughs> or three, <coughs> got apparently upset because Fox News clowned the fact that they were trying to take down Jefferson and Lincoln. So that was an embarrassment to the city. So they distanced themselves from these three board members. The Chinese community sees an opportunity, so they seize in on it and say, oh, there, there's a number one elite blue ribbon school in San Francisco called Lowell High School. You, it, 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 they, they reserve it for the elite students through these stringent requirements. This board removed them so that the school can brown up and get more black kids in these elite schools. The Chinese community came behind this recall and supported it to get rid of these people because they put in a plan to allow black kids to get into the, the elite schools. So the Chinese declared war against us in San Francisco. And they got us talking about Asia hate. Meantime, the number one group to oppose affirmative action in California is the Chinese. They put a million dollars more than anybody else to defeat affirmative action again in November 2020. We looked at Trump. We looked at Georgia. We didn't acknowledge that the Chinese and Asian community of California statewide, now they're suing at Harvard. Now they're suing at North Carolina. And we're sitting back confused as to what our politics should be with regard to the Chinese people. I'm saying we should be at war with whoever's at war with us, wherever they are at war with us politically. And we should be friends with whoever's friends with us um, when we need friends uh, wherever we are organized politically. 
But we cannot have permanent friends and we cannot have permanent enemies. We need to learn how to use the Republicans to our advantage. Black people in the Deep South have been using the Republicans to their advantage. As much as a racist as Governor Wallace was, black people voted for that man because they knew how to manipulate him. When this governor in Georgia and uh, Virginia, Northam, painted his face up black or put on the Klan outfit, I don't know if he was the Klan or the black face, but when he did that, the black delegation of the Virginia legislature told all the black people outside of Virginia, back off, we got this. Locally, we got this. We're going to extract millions of dollars from this man for this mistake he made. Now, blackface is one history. Klan is a whole nother terror. But in that picture, they said, you're in there, and we're going to take advantage of you. Now, we would have demanded him to step down and get out of power. That's stupid politics. The black um, delegation in Virginia, the congressional black delegation of Virginia's legislature, decided they would get funding for five HBCUs, $5 million apiece. Now, I don't know if that's happened. But I know that was their strategic response. And that, to me, is more mature, you know, than always being on the side of, you know, um, of one party all the time. I think we have to figure out strategically at the local level, like the Green Party, black people should be running parties. And because of the mistakes of the people from the 60s and Jesse deciding to give up on the independent idea, they inherited. They inherited it. They were given it despite the Great Depression and, and World War II. They still knew. And then Fannie Lou and the other blacks, uh, and uh, Ella Baker, these sisters organized the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, and their strategy was to defeat the Democrats from within. And then in Chicago, Brother Elliot, this is what Howard Washington does. This is what uh, 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 Comrade Worrell and Tim Black and um, Bob Starks and all of these local black activists in Southside Chicago did when the Democrats endorsed Jane Byrne in the city politics against the black candidates. Black Chicago rose up, drafted Harold Washington from Chicago, from DFDC, brought him back to Chicago, and said, "Run, Harold, run!" And they ran a Democratic strategy against the Democrats, and they did it successfully. So we even had the most recent example. Of, of Howard Washington, and in my book on black nationalism, I argue that that is the, um, the, the, the moment for modern politics, is the election of Howard Washington. That's the beginning of black politics after the civil rights movement, is when we get Chicago, and then you had Dinkins in the, the one term, you had elected officials in the 60s in certain cities already, right, Newark and Detroit and Cleveland, and, and, and things like that. But you know, coming into New York, Bradley was in, in L.A. in 73, right? But coming into New York and Chicago, Howard Washington, that strategy I'm arguing. Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party had one strategy of running against the Democrats and defeat them within the party nomination process. In Chicago, blacks ran against the Democrats in a kind of primary and they, and they end up coming out uh, victorious. So this, these strategies, uh, Elliot, I think we have to be mature enough to understand that there's no one-size-fits-all strategy except the idea that um, it can't be one thing. It, it has to be tailored to the local relationship between the black community and the surrounding community, Latino, Asian, police, schools, you know, um, elites, capitalists, uh, the media, what are those relationships? Because in some places, they're, they're, they're better than in other cities. And 
Um, in some cities, we're, we're good with Latinos. Chicago, black folk, we're good with Latinos. That's how we got Harold Washington. Um, in L.A., Latinos and blacks, not so much. They've gone back and forth, right? Um, we helped them get their uh, recent two Latino mayors, Villa Garosa and uh, Garcia. Now, we helped them. Uh, we helped the white man before that, and when he turned on us, um, James Hahn in L.A., we turned on him and supported the Latino, and that was Villa Garosa. So, so I'm saying, Elliot, I think what we need to be talking about here as a strategy, because all the work has been done. We don't need any new thinking, brothers. The thinking has been done. The blueprint has been done. The question is, how do we get the people to become conscientized around these ideas? How do we get black folk, when they're voting on a bad day in, at 87% Democrat, to de-align themselves from the Democrats and to realign into an independent party? That, 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 and, the, and the thing is, Brother Richard, we're the one group that's done that. We were Republicans from 1856 until 1964 and started breaking away with FDR in 1932, but completed it 32 years later in 1964. So we are the one group in American history that has left our party and joined the other party and chased the racists out of that party into the other party that we used to belong to. So now if Abraham Lincoln woke up, he'd be shocked as hell. Seeing Democrats in his party, racists in his party, you know, at least, well, I guess that wouldn't surprise me so much, would it? You get my point. <laughs> you know, the liberalism has jumped into the uh, Democratic Party and the conservatism around race has jumped into the Republican Party. And this is a quirk of history, but we have everything to do with that. We transformed the party system. And, and that's what, as a political scientist, I know that somebody who's doing black literary criticism, black poetry, black art, black um, sociology, black psychology, black, you know, um, you know, uh, pessimism, they, they don't understand what I understand. And that is, as a political scientist, black unity is, is predictable in black politics. The question is, will they show up at 89% or 94% for whatever is in front of them? You could join the conversation this evening by dialing 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. Our guest author, professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco, Dr. James Lance Taylor. Let's go to the phones. Question or comment for our guest. Let's go to 404. 404? 404? Hey, I'm just listening, man. I'm listening, brother. I'm on the road. All right. Let's go to 334 in Montgomery. 334. Let's give a for a second as, as you get the other caller. And, and that is that, you know, Georgia, Georgia had a plus 200,000 population between 2016 and 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump thinks black folk cheated, but it, it really is that since the year 1970, black America has been involved in a 52-year quiet out migration back to the South. 40% of black people left between World War I and World War II. A lot of that 40% is going back down. The 60% stayed all the time. It was always a majority of black folk were always Southern. But now you can look at the pattern in New York where you have white young people, uh, uh, workers moving to New York and you had black young people moving out of New York. It used to be that wherever the white workers went, the black young workers went too. But here you have a pattern of in-migration by whites and out-migration from New York City down to the Atlanta, Virginia, and North Carolina area by black folks. So what's happening is nobody else is signaling this. The black population is going from 45 million to 75 million in 30 to 40 years, but it's also shifting 
since the year 1970, in every major city in America, the black migration that began in 1870 stopped 100 years later in 1970. And then it reversed for the past 50 years. So for the past 50 years, black folk have been settling. So places like North Carolina and South Carolina are going to become more and more like Georgia uh, over time, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of elections. So, you know, uh, whether Warnock um, and uh, the other brother can get reelected, I doubt it because of the politics. But but it's taking them every manipulation of the system to hold us back in terms of gerrymandering, voter suppression, um, you know, voter I you know voter ID type things, and you know, felony records, uh, things of that sort. Right? We see three four hundred voting laws being erected around the country. Why? Because white population is in decline everywhere in America. And the black population is in, in increase. The black population exploding to 75 million, and the white population is going to peak at 109 million in about three years from now, and then it goes down into an exponential crash for the next 75 years where the white population becomes a minority. That's the reality of America, and it's irreversible. That's a fact. And, and that's what the government has told us. So we have to decide what politics would fit that new situation. The politics we've had is the politics of the 20th century where we were the overwhelming minority, overwhelmed by a dominant white majority. Now we have to think more strategically, how can we divide the white population? How can we divide white people from each other as political units and entities in order to advance our own uh, interests and cause? Let's go to 334, Montgomery, 334. Uh, good evening, Dr. Taylor. I'm curious. Um, you know, there is starting to become uh, a, a rise within uh, uh, the Republican Party of black folks joining. Could this be a, a, an end game of sorts to try to divide uh, white politics within that party? I, I, that, you know, that, that would be the hope, is that more black people living in the South would, you know, quell the racist policing. More black people in the Republican Party would quell the racist partisanship. You you can't have a Marjorie Taylor Greene and you know and and black politicians in the same um, uh, party. But obviously that that's not where we are yet. Um, perhaps, and I think some conservative blacks uh, believe this that if they are present in the Republican Party, they can moderate it. Latinos believe this too. But what we see is not the Republican Party conforming to become more black. We see blacks and Latinos selling out to become more conservative, racist, and anti-black and Republican. So, you know, that's what ends up happening is these individuals end up selling out because for the past 40 years, Jesse and Al had the liberal thing locked down. Now Black Lives Matter and their articulators and Van Jones got it held down. So there ain't a whole lot of room. So Candace Owens and these others, you know, have found the niche of black conservatism um, and they uh, are trying to use it. And now they're able to do something they never were able to do before. They are now able to go and talk to the black community in ways that we would have shouted them out of the building in the past. They come talking conservative in the 70s and 80s. They get their asses whooped in public places. But now there's YouTube. Now there's Fox. Now there's, you know, um, these different entities and social media. So conservative opinion gets out. Kwame Brown is a black conservative, the guy from the NBA. Um, half of these brothers on YouTube that, you know, everybody's mourning the death of Kevin Samuels. Well, the reality is a lot of the brothers that listen to Kevin Samuels are like black MAGA. They're not black liberals and radicals. If you listen to them, they all tell you that they're not down with the Democrats. They're not down with liberalism. So this goes back to Ricky's question about Gen Z. There is a whole lot of potential. But, Brother Ricky, we need, we would need a vision 
and an articulate, not so much charismatic, but an articulate vision that promotes um, promotes it, I think, from the bottom up, like Stokely said. We, 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 don't need, we don't need more information. We need to figure out how to apply the information that we have. How can we build on what the Panthers did? How can we start where they stopped, right, and then build on that because they achieved great things? And so did some other organizations, us organizations. You know, I'm not down with Karanga, but I don't want to, you know, but I understand his importance, and I understand that, you know, that, Kwanzaa is very important for us as a people spiritually. We need Kwanzaa spiritually, even if, because every other holiday everybody else got is made up too. So we need our own rituals. For spiritual reasons, we have to have those kinds of memorials. We needed Juneteenth, not for the government to accept it, but our people needed Juneteenth as a constant reminder of the spiritual death that the Ma'afa was to our ancestors and that we are still living in the aftermath of the Ma'afa. So for me, you know, Juneteenth, uh, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, celebrating a Kwanzaa, these are important contributions. We have to maintain our cultural importance because, brothers, we don't have a lot of guns except against each other. But I'm talking about military, you know, style. We don't yeah. have militia. Uh, we have one or two, right, the Huey Newton Club and the brothers in, in Stone Mountain, right? But, but we don't have a whole lot going on. We don't have nuclear technology. We don't have helicopters. You know, Farrakhan has told us we, we can't fight the government on its terms. We don't have yet the full economic uh, power. We have economic consuming power, but not, you know, power power. And so I'm saying all of that to say the one area where we have power over everybody else is our culture. Our culture is obviously a powerful thing, but what Harold Cruz is trying to get us to do was what James Brown did, and that is own the masters. Right, what Michael Jackson did, own the masters. What some of these younger brothers and sisters are talking about, instead of being employees, we've got to become the owners of, of, the, of the material that shapes our image and projects our music. Right now, it's so out of control that, you know, porn rap is like the norm in our kids' consumption. Every morning, the first thing your kids see here on the hip hop station in your town. Is you know, and I love uh, Doja Cat. I mean, I'm, but I'm a grown man. I love me some Doja Cat, but I don't want my daughter lo- loving Doja Cat. I don't want my 11 year old daughter uh, talking about all night and what she want all night and the, the lyrics from you know these songs. And I'm from the hip hop generation. But my point is, our music is affected. In other words, we have it on the scene, brother Ricky and brother Elliot. The app, we have all the tools on the floor. Everything we have, brothers, we need is here. What we need is to figure out how to, you know, I'm going to use that Bible analogy, which uh, I'm sure we've all heard Ezekiel's dry bones. Farrakhan has used it. The dry bones in the valley, and then the, val- the bones start rattling, they come alive. That's what we need. We, we have all of the scholarship. Here's another book, a book called Hope and Independence. Hope and Independence. That book is a book about black party history, independent parties, there's another book called Black Independent Parties that's recently published. So there's a scholarship on this, and it's not a dead idea, Ricky, if we believe it. We have to believe it. We, we just have to stop doubting it could be possible and believe it. Farrakhan organized the Million Man March. I was there. I assume one of y'all might have been there. I was there. 
Farrakhan promised at the Million Man March, a third force. He kept saying it, a third force. And what ended up happening in 1996 is the plus two million black men that registered to vote because they went to the Million Man March, voted for Bill Clinton. So Farrakhan helped Bill Clinton with the Million Man March. And the way you can look at that is 92, it was a plus two million women over black male participation. And in 96 for Clinton, women were plus two million for him the first time. We were negative against Bill Clinton. And then after the Million Man March, that following election, that uh, 96, Bill Clinton got plus two million for men, and black women did not support Bill Clinton as much because they were pissed with him from the welfare reform. But black men voted for Bill Clinton. So Farrakhan helped Clinton instead of creating a third force. We would need someone or something to come along and pull these disparate entities, all those independent black parties that are forming right now. To me, Brother Ricky and Elliot, Ice Cube, see, see, this is why when Ice Cube starts talking about the black agenda, I got angry because I'm like, I'm right here in California. They nobody come to me. And I'm only one of maybe 10 black political scientists in this state, not even 10. And they didn't come to any black political scientists, and he right down in L.A. There's USC, there's UCLA. None of the people I know from USC or UCLA were brought in to talk to Ice Cube. Black people like me who would be glad to help him put his power behind the idea. In other words, you need political scientists to do this. You can't do it without us. You know, but we need activists like the, the Panthers to roll it out. We need real people to roll out programs, but they also need stratagems and strategies and thinkers and think tanks to help us think through the 21st century, Elliot and Ricky. We need to be using our platforms as think tanks to influence our strategy for the 21st century. And we got to start the black political party somewhere. And if we give it life now, then perhaps 50 years from now, it's more effective than we realize in certain cities, maybe in Charlotte, maybe in Richmond, Virginia, maybe in Atlanta, not everywhere, but that's what the Green Party is doing. The Green Party won a seat in Oakland over a black Democrat because he stupidly offered black people fried chicken and watermelon at a campaign, and the, the, the Green Party member, Audie, Bat, Audie Bach, B-O-C-K, she respected East Oakland and, and, and called Lionel, the uh, former mayor who did this, out when he was running for state legislature, and he lost to the Green member with the black vote. Matt Gonzalez uh, um, ran effectively in San Francisco against Gavin Newsom back in the day. Lenora Fulani has run the most successful 50-state presidential campaign other than Barack Obama of any black person in American history. And we forget she did it twice in the 90s when Farrakhan was promising a third force and lined up with her and, Far and Sharpton, and they did nothing. Why? Because the Democrats bought them out. Farrakhan got contracts for the nation to protect the buildings. Jesse, uh, Al, got, Al got MSNBC. Jesse aged out, and I don't blame Jesse. I respect Jesse. Jesse aged out. But there's no reason why we shouldn't have, with all this independence of mind now, all this, if, if the black, if the black, in other words, brother, we get back to your question about black conservatives. If black conservatives like Kanye West, these people that call being a Democrat, being on the plantation, were really of independent mind, instead of opportunism, they would create the party. 
away from the Democrats and the Republicans, because that's what I talk about in my dissertation when I talk about the question of political neutrality. Being neutral from both parties is the politics we need. That's what we need. We need black neutrality, black plurality, black neutrality. How do we do black plurality and black neutrality in the party system where the country is increasingly browning? In other words, Ricky, the conditions, Brother Richard, the conditions are ripening for us to do something because we are adding up more and we are the most politically sophisticated group in this country outside of the Anglos and the Irish. We are the most sophisticated group in America politically. Show me another group who belonged to a party for a hundred years and then left it and then dominated the other party that used to oppose them. <laughs> Let's go to not the Italians, not the Jews, not the gays, not women, not labor, not any group. Black Americans are the most sophisticated political group in America. That's why they stick together as a political bloc, and nobody else has anything like it. Latinos, when they get together, it's 68%. That's their unity. The Cubans, the, the, the sellout Latinos who act more white than white people, like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, but just any Latina you can see in most cities who just as sold out as she want to be and nowhere can relate to her. Uh, indigenous sisters and brothers across the border. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. We, 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 we've grown up around these people. We know. And so, you know, I think we have to recognize that the attitudes amongst our young are not beholden to the Democratic Party, like the elders. But as long as, see, see what I said in my dissertation that, is that Jesse ran and Jesse kind of married black people to the, Republic, the Democratic Party when they didn't really want to. Black people spent from 72 to 81. Elliot, you guys were talking about uh, Gary. That whole decade, they were going back to Philly, Atlanta. They're going all over there in Illinois. Willie Brown and a bunch of black elites meet up in Illinois in a secret North Lake meeting. It's called the North Lake meeting. It was a secret meeting where they were trying to figure out a black strategy for presidential politics. Black people began to embrace the Democratic Party in, in, in our lifetime, since 64. We still have another 50 years from now it would take to be Democrats for as long as we were Republicans, 1856, 1964. Do the math. 1964 to now. We still have another 50 years from now to be with the Democrats for how long we were with the Republicans of Lincoln even though we were really broken up with them right away after Lincoln died, we were still in name Republicans for 96 years. And my point is, we were reading the situation, and when FDR emerges with the New Deal, we're like, okay, there's something happening here. And, they, and we made that move. We did not say wedded to the Republicans. So if any group has the history, the precedence, the wherewithal, the cultural power to make such a thing happen, it's us. Barack Obama became president because he perfected Jesse Jackson's rainbow coalition strategy. Jesse Jackson ran effectively both times because he perfected, at least in terms of the party system, he applied rather, he didn't perfect. He applied um, Fred Hampton's rainbow coalition concept. And that's the thing, Elliot and Richard, that I think we have to recognize is that any black specific party is going to end up being the most for all people than any of the parties. It would be more democratic with more of a rainbow than any than the Republicans or Democrats because we would bring in even more people. 
look, look at our politics. Our politics help the transgender become transgender, become centered. Look, Black Lives Matter took over the black police movement and, and pivoted the focus to transgender. Our movement for black people to stop black police shooting black boys who were heterosexual boys like Tamir Rice and Michael Brown was pivoted to the, you know, to the focus of unnamed transgender individuals who the police didn't shoot because they were transgender. And all of a sudden, the Black Lives Matter movement is all about transgender and sexuality. It ain't got a goddamn thing to do with black heterosexual men being shot no more. That is how our movement ended up helping other people. Here it is. The movement was, was for five years on the ground in Oakland. The Oscar Grant movement. This movement of, called Black Lives Matter was a was a, a labor movement and a Marxist movement. They in Oakland joined the Oscar Grant movement. They tweeted, and then the media said they were the leaders of the movement. That happened in Oakland, California, where the where, where the media allowed the LGBTQ agenda at, within the Oscar Grant movement to become the movement. That's why. That's how. That's how, that's how you end up with uh, Black Lives Matter focusing on transgender identity, with Alicia Garza, April Tomato, and uh, the, others, uh, the, uh, the other sister. Um, they took a movement that was on the ground for five years. A major motion picture film was made about it with major actors, Ryan Coogler, Michael B. Jordan, Fruitvale Station. This ain't no small thing. And yet somehow, somehow, the tweet comes from out of that movement that they were a part of. And then all of a sudden, the tweet becomes more important than Oscar Grant. And we forget that the tweet happened in context of this group aligning as an ally group in the Bay Area, focusing not on black people, but on, on sexuality in general, not on blacks, but sexuality in general and labor rights. Because these sisters are Marxists from Black Lives Matter. And so they end up taking over the movement. And yet, so here, this is my point. How would a black political party help all? The same way Black Lives Matter ends up helping transgender. The same way that when black folk um, rose up at San Francisco State in the 60s, it ended up leading to Latino studies and ethnic studies in America. They didn't come out of their own studies. They came out of our studies, Chicano studies, uh, Native American studies, women's studies. All of them were the children of black people's demand for um, the right to study themselves. These are our children. And they cannot lead this movement for a political party. Nobody else could do it. Only black people can lead a political party in America because they will make sure it becomes universal because blackness in America, like the Declaration of Independence, we use that document to universalize rights for all from the specificity of the low place of blackness. If we can get justice, then the gay can get justice. The transgender can get justice. The, the, the immigrant can get justice. The refugee can get justice. And that's why reparations is so important. Because if we can get justice through reparations, then anybody can get re uh, redemption in America. But I'm going back to the point. A black party would not be an Afrocentric party necessarily, although we would keep our policy positions and priorities at the floor against all friends and enemies. Um, but, but um, you know, we have to do it not everywhere, only where it fits only where it might work, and then do something different where it won't. If, if a party doesn't work in, say, Las Cruces, New Mexico, because there ain't enough black folk in Las Cruces, New Mexico, well, we don't try to do a black party in Las Cruces. Well, we just do some sort of cultural activism in, in, in Las Cruces. Or let's say Provo, Utah. Let's say there's 50 black folk in Provo, Utah. Okay, they can't do an independent party, but they can organize a Juneteenth 
in Provo and create a spirit of Juneteenth, you know, to remind these people that they owe us reparations. The Mormons were the ones that brought slavery as far west as it came. The Mormons owe black people reparations all by themselves. The Mormon church should announce tomorrow reparations for black America because they even have the best records of black people who were enslaved in American history. Better than the counties of America's county government, the Mormons have our records of who our ancestors were. Anybody who's eligible for reparations, if a reparations plan comes, contact the Latter-day Saints of of Utah, and they will give you your ancestors' records. Let's go to 267-267. Yes, uh, Brother Elliot. Yes, sir. This is wonderful. Brother Richard, this is wonderful. Some years back, Brother Charles Taylor, my friend Elliot, had, I had talked to him. I said, he had, we had talked to each other in the morning. I told him I was in California. He said, well, Tim, I'm going to give you a number of a person who's a professor. And um, every time I, that's right. I said, every time I go places, I talk to people because I'm a cultural person. I want to connect with my roots and my background. And he happened to give me your number, Dr. Taylor. And the young lady who I went with, unfortunately, she's dead. And if she was living now, she would love this conversation. But let me get to the point. I stayed in San Leandro, right, which was on the outside of Oakland. And you called me and told me where everything was at. You told me where the old Black Panther Party headquarters now a restaurant. Exactly. You told me where Hilary P. Newton, uh, you said, look it up. Show you the place where she died. Yeah, the death spot. You did did everything. So so listen, here's here's the other part of it, right? So at the same same time when I was in Philadelphia, right, Dr. Taylor, a guy, a friend of mine, he was a sociologist, Dr. Tony Montero, he was also doing stuff on Booker T. Washington and Du Bois. And, um, and I would call from, from San Diego while he was on the air and I was in California. And you kept telling me, Harold Cruz, Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington, Harold Cruz. So when you talk about Booker T. Washington, the information I got from you, I was able to stand strong. I became yeah. a better Booker T. Washington scholar. Now, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it further than that. I'm going to take it further than that. And then the, the, we go back and forth with the Negro in, the crisis of the intellectual, Negro intellectual. So my thing was is that I had to thank you for that because I ran for office many times. And I always talked with Elliot and Richard about political science and the office and how we use it and how we do it. So here you are expanding my mind and my idea because when Elliot called me, I was entrenched with some information. But I said, let me call the radio station because I didn't get a chance to call him back. And I hear your voice. I said, oh, my God, Dr. Charles Taylor. And listen to me. I still have these photos from Oakland. I still have the conversation in my head that we talk. And Brenda's no longer here, unfortunately. But it expanded my whole knowledge base. From Washington, Harold Cruz, the the Black Panther Party. You see what I'm saying? And I'm just trying to tell you. Listen to what you're saying politically gets open mind and mind up again. Anything that you that you write, anything you will say, I'm always listening to it. And I'm gonna always enjoy that moment. And when we gotta meet, man, because I always say, I said, Elliot, I got I had this conversation with this guy and I've been going all around when I was man, I everywhere I go I can connect with somebody to open mind. Right. That was my first time being in California. And, and we rode the bar. We was we were in San Francisco. I brought oh, back. Okay. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. No, because I can't remember nothing. <laughs> it was wonderful, man. So I, now, I, remember, I, remember, I, remember, I remember talking to you about the, about the, uh, the Huey Newton uh, Despot picture. I do remember that. Yeah, well, well, listen to me. I was impressed because when we, when we took up her cousin with us, it became a different trip because she had been living in Sandringham and didn't know anything about it. And we ate at the we ate at the, at the oh, okay. uh, I bakery. I do remember that. I do remember that. Yes, I do. I do. I do. Yes, yeah, you just yelled at the bakery. Right. I remember you that. Yes, you remember right. that. That's right. To go to Fisherman's Wharf is one thing. I think it was at this uh, place called. Um, uh, they named it after some kind of champagne. It was called. Uh, it was on Broadway. Uh, uh, some fancy name that they. It was. I remember the conversation now. Yes, I do. That's amazing. Yes, and then the other thing was. Uh, uh, the Booker T. Washington piece. I looked at Booker T. Washington different. The way we talked and we conversated, he said he was no sellout. Booker, right. Booker. He kept on saying Booker, Booker. And I, 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 I have re-researched re him. Yeah. And, and, and you're exactly right. And you said, we really yeah. need a Booker. We really need yeah. a Booker. And yeah. they, they, see, but you might, you and I might have a difference because I'm from the nation of Islam. Only a fans yeah. a certain thing about the nation, but I didn't put that, yeah. I didn't let that bother me. But you right. said but, something about but, but, but that, that if you if you look at the if you look at the nation Islam machine, Booker T. Washington, they, they, they're connected. The Washington okay. machine and, right. and the nation of Islam machines are basically the same. And also right. Garvey. Those those three right. are all connected. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So, Garvey we know that Garvey came here to meet Booker and Garvey exactly. is influenced by Booker. I mean I got Garvey here on my wall. I don't know if anybody can see me, but I got Garvey right up here on my wall. Uh, right. uh and I got the nation of Islam. I got uh a uh, message to the black man right here. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, um, uh, these, yeah, the genealogy, absolutely. Uh, Father Divine, I think, is also very important. Uh, forgot you talked about Divine. You yeah, talked about you was going to do a book yeah. on Divine. You yeah. said you could do a book on Divine. Yeah. That was the last conversation we had. And, and, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm still on it, believe it or not. But, uh, but my point is, overall, there's a genealogy that runs from really Booker Washington to black power. You know, or Frederick Douglass to Black Power. You can. Yeah, I'm gonna say one thing. One thing, one thing you said. You had. You hit me to Jim Jones. You said that Jim Jones studied That's Father right. Divine. That's right. I remember the conversation. Well, that was some years back. We we talked. I'm, I'm sitting here right now. That's two papers about Jonestown. I'm sitting here writing about it right now. I'm still writing. I'm on my last chapter of a long book, but I'm finishing it. And um, and it was even tied. To, the People's Temple was tied to the Nation of Islam, and the people don't know that how tied they were. They were deeply connected. Um, exactly. Wallace Muhammad, Wallace, Wallace Muhammad integrated integrated the Nation of Islam in the seventies with a white woman and Jim Jones, and people don't know that. Jim Jones was you the told me that whole story. Yep. Jim I, Jones heard, was the I heard it from you first. I heard it from you first. Now you telling them, but I heard it from yep. you first some years back, and it was like this is it's like so fresh. It's yep. like last so month, fresh. last month, if you Google this, a brother showed me, a friend of mine from Penn State showed me. If you Google Jim Jones and uh, Albert Kleeg, uh, Reverend Kleeg from the Shrine of the Black Madonna, he did this, and he got a, he found a tweet last night of a scholar who's writing a book on Albert Kleeg, and that scholar found a letter from a follower of Jim Jones's in 1969 writing Albert Kleeg, asking Albert Kleeg and of the Shrine of the Black Madonna in Detroit to send them a copy of the uh, Shrine of the Black Madonna and the Black Messiah so they could use the Black Messiah picture in People's Temple in San Francisco. And meanwhile, wow. Jim Jones is trying to be a white messiah, and for Albert Cleek, him, him being white made it impossible for him to be a white uh, a messiah 
but but you know, but that's what that's what we're dealing with. And and and, and even this conversation though. It, it really is still about the cultural front. We can talk about the particulars. We can talk about Karenga. We can talk about women. You know, we can talk about Panthers. We're talking about the cultural front. I argue that our culture, for better and for worse, is our nuclear bomb against white supremacy. It's the reason why they have not been able to consume us completely, as they have the indigenous people, or they, as, as they've done other people. That's why they're dying out in 33 states in America right now, and we're having a population boost. Our culture... However you define that, and I'm not talking about our low culture, I'm, I'm not talking about our hood culture per se. I'm talking about our working class or spiritual culture that we've generated. In fact, Harold Cruz in the article called Black and White, this is the article in 1973, it's called Black and White, uh, and it's hard to find, but he says it is black people's spiritual culture that is the thing. And that's what Du Bois is saying, Elliot, when he said the souls were black folk. Du Bois is an atheist. He ain't talking religion. Du Bois is an atheist. Booker Washington, I mean, uh, 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 Frederick Douglass, is, Frederick Douglass caused a national co- controversy in America because he refused to thank God for, for freedom. When black people got free, Frederick Douglass publicly refused to thank God. And he said, the only God there is that I've ever seen in my whole life was the four million black people who freed themselves. That is God to Frederick Douglass. So our culture has been our God, the nation, the 5% nations of gods and earth. They teach our, our young men about who they are, the mathematics, right, of, of who they are, who they were in antiquity, et cetera, in order to affect the psychology now. In other words, we have got to waken up our spiritual culture and put it to use around forming a new politics in the 21st century around a black first agenda that is not coalition based and that is not multiracial and and diversity, equity, and inclusion. These are the things they use to undermine the very most, the, the very thing we are, which is the most powerful, potentially, potentially the most powerful political force at the national and local level. You're talking to a man who's been in the city for 20 years that has had two black mayors, Willie Brown and London Breed. The mayor right now is a black woman, London Breed. The president of the city council is a black man. If London Breed dies tomorrow, a black man becomes mayor of San Francisco tomorrow. How does a black community with 3% population in decline since 1970 get black mayors? Because at San Francisco, there's a local ingredient between the history of the Panthers, the history of the student movements, the history of the left, the history of labor, and the Chinese community that allows for black folks to have a unique politics here at the local level that works for them. And they use the Chinese-black relationship to get the black woman mayor. Now, I'm saying, Elliot, in Philly, it's a different ingredient. So you all have to figure out, in Philly, as vast and as awesome, I love Philadelphia, by the way. I went to school at a junior college out, in Bryn Mawr, uh, out near Bryn Mawr, the King of Prussia. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was on Montgomery Avenue, right near Villanova University. And I was there when Villanova beat Georgetown. So I love, I love Philadelphia. <laughs> I love, you know, I'm a New Yorker that loves Philly. Um, I love Philly. Um, but, and Philly is every bit a part of all of this history we're talking about. Going back to the 1700s. I'm talking about going back to Richard Allen and Absalom Jones. They're leading in Philly when Prince Hall is leading up in Boston. So Philly's history is so beautiful and deep. 
that the beginning of the black movement begins in Philadelphia. If the country was born in Philly, the same time America was born in 1787 on September 17th, during, and they met for five months. During that same time, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones walked out of the white Methodist church and created the AME church. And there's a book called Black Religion and Black Radicalism by Gayrod Wilmore that says that moment in Philly, when Absalom Jones and Richard Allen walk out of the white Methodist church is the beginning of black politics in American history with the creation of the AME church in Philly. That's the beginning. And what they did up in Boston under Prince Hall was the first Masons, but Philly had it a, a whole different thing. And then Philly was deeply implicated in the black Panthers and the, and the, you know, I mean, some of it's scary. Y'all know better than me some of the scary history in Philly, but there's a lot of history tied to the nation and the Panthers and this history. That's part of the problem is that our good intentions end up getting corrupted by um, provocateurs, you know, and, and, and sellouts. And they end up, you know, confusing our movements intentionally. And you think about the man who, who betrayed Fred Hampton. This man, I think he got like $50, $75. As much as he might have thought he was getting paid in 1960, what year was it, 67 or whatever it was, 69, he he, he felt like $75, damn, I'm getting paid. I can take my woman out and buy me some drinks tonight up in Harlem or in Detroit. We're going to go up to Hastings Street. We're going to party with $75 for selling and betraying Fred Hampton. And then at the end, when you think about the movement, like how much did you get to kill Malcolm? Like how much did they give you? $200? $400 to kill Malcolm X. That's what we're talking about. That kind of ignorance is always around us. There are brothers and sisters that are willing to suicidally di distract our movements and our good intentions and our good organizing because the colonial mindset that we have has us so confused about what the nature of our situation is that we got people working as agents for the colonial you know, government, the, the United States government, and, and against our own people. And that's the pattern that you can find anywhere. Let's go to, uh, we got two calls left. We had three. Uh, looked like, uh, Richard, we had uh, Professor Henderson to, to try to join in. We'll uh, we'll uh, go to these three calls here. Let's go to McKinley, Texas first. I mentioned his book in relationship to, he brings out Elaine um, Locke in relationship to the cultural piece that Cruz brings up. And in, in, in making that what you call a nuclear bomb. Well, hopefully, so, yeah. hopefully he'll call back because I seen his call up here, but it dropped. Let's go to I'm, McKinley. Unfortunately, unfortunately, our nuclear bomb is being used against us. You know what I'm saying? In small, in, in, in these sort of small time, you know, nuclear things that like Putin. Let's let's play with the Putin thing. Putin wants to use these small tactical nuclear bombs, and I think that's what they've done with our hip hop, you know, and other parts of our culture. You know, even our protest culture, like what Black Lives Matter did. And, and, and you can find me online giving a speech at the College of Alameda explaining Black Lives Matter as a, a movement that is in, in, uh, 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 challenging the black church's uh, uh, heteronormative, you know, uh, traditions and patterns um, and against black male uh, cisgender men. And I've, I've said this to my students in San Francisco lectures multiple times, mostly to women who are, you know, feminist militant students, that the only use that Black Lives Matter has demonstrated for black men is who are heterosexual is dead and then and then they come but on their program they go out of their way to exclude heterosexual black men and they think the removal of us is necessary for total liberation of black people 
And we can't tolerate this. This is why Kevin Samuels had a million and a half followers. Why? Because like Farrakhan in the 90s, Farrakhan had two million black men come to, 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 to D.C. and the black churches keep, couldn't resonate. Why? Because Farrakhan and Samuels, whether you like them or not, is not the issue. The point is they tap into something that the rest of y'all don't know about. And, and you can find all the educated, dignified, degreed Negroes like me you want to. The bottom line is um, Tyler Perry's genre of material is way more popular than any professor you know. Put Cornell West up against Tyler Perry. People will consume way more Tyler Perry than they will Cornell West, right? So that's the society we're dealing with. And yet we're looking at the reality that people like Kevin Samuels was tapping into something about black manhood that's been denied us. I don't know about you two brothers, but all my life as a black man in my 50s, I've been told that black men are no good. All my life. And I'm tired of it. I am tired of black women saying we ain't shit. I'm sick of it. I'm beyond it. It does us no good. It doesn't do you any good to say it. It's poison when you say it, and it's poison to us who hear it. So we got to figure out how to cooperate on, on multiple fronts. Because if you haven't noticed, the world, there are people at war with us that we're not at war with them. The Republican Party is trying to make sure you can't vote. And you ain't worried about the Republican Party. You got militia organizing talking about the Jews ain't going to replace us. And when they get rid of the Jews, they're coming for you because they see the Jews as your protectors. That's why they hate the Jews. Black people have got to become selfish. Like everybody else is selfish. In L.A., Pasadena, uh, Pasadena, the Armenians are selfish. Kim Kardashian's people, they, they are selfish there. They ain't trying to run everywhere. They just want power in Altadena and Pasadena. In San Jose, the Vietnamese got a little area called Little uh, Hanoi, um, uh, Ho Chi Minh. They, they have this little area, right, and they, and, they, and, and they infuse politics. In San Francisco, they're trying to restore the Fillmore, and they're trying to keep the black community. And when I suggested to the black community that they have to do this with a bank, that they have to establish a black bank, if you're talking about reparations, nobody listened to me. And they figured that somehow we're going to be able to mature in our politics simply through protest activity. We've got to get more sophisticated in every front of our politics. And our culture is the root of anything we do. The problem that we're seeing is our culture is being weaponized and turned against our young people, emphasizing the things that should be de-emphasized and de-emphasizing the things that should be emphasized. You know, I've heard rapper and, uh, and producers say, you know, it's not the art. You know, it's sort of like, you know, I've heard, you know, Nas and others talk about the fact that, you know, the raunchy and the low life and the gutter stuff has always been there, but it was on the margins and the more conscientized consciousness was in the center. And over time, after black folk in the hip hop period, after LA blew up in 92, um, and then people start listening to Farrakhan and, and public enemies start sampling Farrakhan and, and bringing back Malcolm and, and black folks start walking around talking about self-destruction and Spike Lee, they got scared. And so they took our music, our, our nuclear weapon, and they began to use it strategically against us. So that now we have, you know, what we have now. I won't judge it. I'll just say we have what we have now. And, and I don't know how what we have right now is elevating our young people in terms of their consciousness, the way music did in the 70s when they were listening to Curtis Mayfield or, you know, 
um, Nina Simone. That that those that, you know, we don't have that kind of. I mean, we have good music. We have good people putting good music out there. The problem is those who, people who control our music are putting the, our low culture at the fore and put our 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 spiritual culture at the margins. We need our spiritual culture at the fore. And when I say spiritual, I don't mean religion. I'm talking about Jew, blues, jazz, running the numbers, hip hop, dancing in D.C., dancing in Philly, whatever they stepping in Chicago, um, cripping and cripping, crip, crip setting in L.A. Um, gangsta looking our gangs, acknowledging our gangs, bring the gangs in, acknowledge the gangs, bring the gangs into our work and our organizing because they are more organized and more sophisticated than, than we imagined. And this is what Huey Newton understood. Huey understood the Panthers. The Panthers understood the brother on the block needs to be engaged in our politics if we're going to have a truly transformative politics. And we can't just have a bunch of Howard and Harvard educated black people sitting around talking the master's language. We need people that talk disruptive language, that call for death that call for reparations, that call for removal, that call for extremism in order to make the point that we are determined to survive in America. And we're not going to let any group, um, you know, try to undermine that. And I think we have to be ready to fight Latinos. We have to be, we, I love Latinos. I've been in LA, California all my, you know, for 30 years. I love Latinos. I have no beef with Latinos. Most of my students are Latinos. But I'm talking as a student of politics. The Chinese community hit us upside the head and we got told, don't hit them back because of Asia hate. So I, we keep getting played with and we need to stop allowing ourselves to be played with. So right now we have all these disparate groups. Got the, Every time I go on Carl Nelson's show for the first years or so, I would hear, you know, a, a brother come on uh, from the Million More Movement, right? I thought it was an awkward name. They asked me to join and be a part of it. And I was like, well, first of all, we need a better name. You know, that was me. Like, let's make up something like the Panthers. You know, let's call ourselves the Black Panther Party. But they wanted to call themselves the Million Man Movement, right? And, and then they, you know, tried to have a meet a convention, and they asked me to come down. I was ready to come down. That didn't work out. There are all these groups I mentioned earlier. Earlier, if you Google independent black party or independent black politics, you'll see what's out there. Elliot and Brother Richard, the reason why um, we can't get it together is simply because they're all waiting. They're all waiting. All of them are already in place, but none of them are well known. None of them are well known to any of us who are black. All these political parties, independent Google them. They're there. They're in Cleveland. Um, uh, they're in, I think, Los Angeles. They're in several cities around the country. Black people have independent party ideas. Puffy and Ice Cube. Now is when they should be doing the party. They're going to wait till the election and the campaigning to try to get clout, and they're going to talk about vote or die. We're not voting for the Democrats. Democrats doing this once again. Tyreek Nashi. Where are any of them now? Where they at? Where's Tyreek Nashi? Where is IQ? Where's Puffy? Because the election's over, and y'all were doing all this talk about independent party, and y'all going to build a party. Now is when you should be doing it for 2024 or 2028. So what are you doing every four years when you jump out in front of us talking about we need an independent party politics or go to die? Either do it or shut up. But you have the wherewithal, you have the capacity, you have the resources, you have the networks, 
You have everything. Puffy can do a black political party all by himself. Ice Cube can do it all by himself. If they pitch it right. Don't try to do it national. Just do a black political party for L.A. to start with. Do one in Chicago. Wherever we're 30%, Elliot, wherever our population, I'm giving you the map. Wherever we're about 30%, we should be running independent parties at the local level against both major parties. <laughs> 30% of the black population. Wherever we have 30% population, we, we, we should be organizing a solid 30% black support and then getting and pulling off support from white radicals and, and Latinos and maybe some other groups to make for a, a, a governing co- you know, potential coalition. But, but we have to start somewhere. Let's go to 469. 469. Uh, hello, boy. I tell you what, this, this brother smoking. You know, I had something I was going to say, but, you know, I, sometimes when you have someone who's so dynamic, the best thing to do is listen. But I will say this, and I agree with him totally, is that we have to take our culture back. You know, what other people do, like we say, take jazz and blues and all of those genres and other things and dress and the way that we talk. And other people take what we have, use it, enrich themselves, and then and, and then uh, and then turn our own culture against us, like he's saying. Even the way that the brother's talking, he's talking very, very emotional, like you do when you sit down and talk to a brother on the corner. And I like that. You know, he's not <laughs> proper. He's not proper and he's not prissy. He's talking like he's related. You know, he has the intellect that he could talk to everyone on the, on any level. And at the same time, he's talking with the dialect that we all understand. So he could go out and talk to the brother on the corner as opposed to a brother or a sister who's proper and prissy. So I'm just going to sit back and, re- and relax. This is, I mean, look, this is better than going to a concert. You know, <laughs> thank you so much for, thank, thank you. you so much for your, thank for you. your, okay, bye-bye. Talk to thank you. you. Talk and, to and, you, and, uh, you know, and again, if you want to, you know, see the arguments I'm making, they're published. They're published in the book I wrote called Black Nationalism in the United States. Um, that's the title. And the subtitle is from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. I wish I had left that part off. And just called the Black Nationalism in the United States, like the, uh, like the publisher told me to, but I was stupid and thought I would use Malcolm and Barack Obama to market it, but I should have left them out. But I do focus on them as well. But my point is, um, I do, m- most of the, the, the politics I'm talking about are in my doctoral dissertation. Like I said, my, I was asking about for political neutrality. I'm, I'm advocating a politics of neutrality based on Alan Cruz. And based on Cruz's reading of Booker Washington and, and Du Bois and the black leadership paradigm of the 20th and 19th and 20th century, and the realities of black people in the late 20th century, after black power, after Jesse Jackson, after Reagan, now in light of Obama and Trump, what do we do with this mess? Are we what the idea of a black president was supposed to represent, even though we know Obama did not deliver on the policies? I'm just talking about the idea to white people of the first black president. Are we supposed to go in that direction, or are we going in the direction of the backlash against it, which is MAGA? Because that's what happened in the 1870s. We, had, we were at the precipice of either going racial democracy, which they tried from 1865 to 1877, and then after that, they erect, from 1896 to 1960, really 1970, Jim Crow. So we're at that point now. I'm not saying Obama deserves the hate he got, because he didn't do enough for black people to be hated. 
but but they hated him anyway. Um, but I'm saying that we're at the crossroads in America, like we were in the post-slavery period, looking into the 20th century. Du Bois said the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. And I'm saying we're a quarter into the 21st century. We got 75 years left of this, or a little bit more. We got to fight for the rest of this century right now. The fight is now. The fight ain't 10 years from now, five years from now. We are fighting for the survival of black people in America from a standpoint of health as opposed to a standpoint of struggle and scarcity. That's why we're fighting for reparations. That's why, that's why reparations ain't going away. Reparations was the first black politics of any black politics other than abolition. The next black politics we ever had in history other than abolition was for reparations. A woman named Callie House, H-O-S-E, in Memphis, Tennessee, and Isaiah Washington, they led 200,000 black people in Tennessee, and they sued the United States Treasury for seven years of her slavery for $56 million. Callie House did. She used the uh, pension funds that they had set up for Civil War veterans and sued under the widow's pension fund to get reparations. They arrested her and put her in prison. They arrested Isaiah Washington and put him in prison. There's a book about her called My Skin is Black is True by Mary Frances Berry. They then used the same mail fraud charges against Callie House in Memphis, Tennessee, against Marcus Mosiah Garvey 20 years later in Harlem, New York. The same way they got rid of Garvey, they first got rid of Callie House 20 or 30 years earlier, I'm telling you. And Callie House was bigger than Martin Luther King. Her movement was for reparations, and that was the only politics black people had once they got free. It was the white NACP that comes along in 1909 with Du Bois and Ida B. Wells in the back of the bus and, and, and promoted integration. You can't find anybody who's well-known and black in history who wrote about integration. The only one that wrote about it is, is, is uh, East Franklin Frazier, and he was talking about the black church holds up the integration of Negroes into the wider society. But you can't find no scholar, you can't find no black intellectual who wrote a treatise on how the Negro is to be integrated. Because it wasn't even in our instinct to be integrated until after World War II. We come out of that. We went in there with Garvey. We come out, I have a dream. We went in there with Garvey. We came out with, I have a dream. We went into the movement with Garvey. We came out talking about integration. And they killed the dude that was talking it. So nobody nursed the integration process. And this is the deep thing, Elliot. The, the deep thing is the integration happened in 1954 with the, with the bus Brown v. Board case. If integration happened with Brown, why is Martin Luther King necessary? Do you see, even after the, we broke through with integration, the, the civil rights and black power movements happened after integration. We weren't even fighting for integration in the civil rights movement. It had already occurred with the case in 54. So what is King doing in 60, you know, in 65 through, you know, in 50, um, 55 with Rosa Parks through 68 for the next 13 years, right? King's not clear. King's not solidly committed to integration. There was no good reason for King to promote integration. What he wanted was desegregation. What he wanted was the signs of humiliation down. What he wanted was 
to get rid of the humiliation of being black in the South and in the North. But Martin Luther King married a black woman, didn't he? Martin Luther King went to an all-black school, didn't he? Martin Luther King went to an all-black boys' school, didn't he? Martin Luther King had an all-black church, didn't he? Martin Luther King's church was not integrated at all. Martin Luther King's organization was not integrated at all. Martin Luther King did not marry outside of his community. So Martin Luther King preached uh, integration, but there was nothing integrated about his life except his graduate school education. That's the only aspect of Martin Luther King's life that was integrated, was going to Boston University. So everything about him was already nationalist. He just would not declare the nationalist implicated in all of his activism and to find a way to bring his nationalism with Malcolm and the nation in a way that can reconcile the, the, the efforts in the way that Cruz is trying to reconcile Booker and Du Bois in the crisis as a way of theorizing through forward, bringing the best of all of these ingredients. We need what Farrakhan brings that works and appeals to black young men. We need whatever, you know, my friend Melina Abdullah, my colleague and sister who I went to college with at USC, she leads Black Lives Matter in L.A. I'm all down for her and Black Lives Matter in L.A. So as much as I said what I said earlier, I'm not, I don't apply that to her in L.A. In L.A., they doing Black Lives Matter right. Melina's not getting rich. Melina got kicked out of Melina got kicked out of a public event two days ago at her own university by the police at her own university at Cal State Long Beach. Melina Abdullah, who leads the Black Lives Matter movement in L.A., has been getting arrested and beaten and attacked. And in fact. The, the, the former prosecutor, Jackie Lacey, who's black, husband put a gun to her head. Now, you compare Molina in L.A. to what these women are doing, buying these million-dollar houses all over America, talking about black America needs houses. But these sellouts that call themselves revolutionaries, they really <coughs> shipwrecked the black power movement in, black Lives Matter, in the Oscar Grant movement. Molina Abdullah in L.A., he gets Black Lives Matter right, and there's a few others around the country. But what we need is, is, is a conscientization, an awakening of all of the disparate aspects of our cultural life. Bring them together, the music, the writing, the critical discourses, um, the dancing. We need to bring back hopscotch. We need to bring back double dutch. Elliot, I know you and Richard probably can relate to at some point when black young women in cities all over America were doing hopscotch, right? And I'm not, I keep saying hopscotch, but I mean double deck. Mm. Remember they used to have the double deck tournaments with our young women all over America? That was our culture. It was all over. And then we gave that up so we can get IG and look on the phone and show the curves in our bodies when, you know, in the 70s and even as late as the 90s, we had a, a reality of young black women all over America in cities doing double dutch. And it was, a, it was a subcultural thing that was beautiful all by itself and didn't need to be popular. It was part of our cultural glue that makes us strong. I'll say one more thing, and I'll shut up after this. With track, AAU track. My son, uh, my son plays basketball, and my son's ran AAU track out here in Oakland and played basketball for, in Oakland. Most black people have no idea how black and strong black families are at the AAU track events all over America. Wherever, as long as there are black people in the community, if they have AAU track, black people 
grandmothers, grandfathers, fathers, uncles, aunts, cousins, everybody's there. I, if you feel like our people are have no hope, go to an AAU trap meet and sit there all day from 8 in the morning until, until the end, and, and all your discouragement will go away because you will see all of the beauty of our young people, our girls, the girls especially, like my daughter, they get all glamorous like Flojo. They don't just run. They get beautiful, and they shining, and the boys are playing but running like, you know, like, like Bo Jackson. And, and I'm saying this to say, just giving you examples. Double Dutch or track, those are our things, and we can't let them go. Look, at, we, we let Double Dutch go, so I sound crazy mentioning it. I sound off like, damn, he's talking about Double Dutch. Well, but you remember, Brother Griffin, you remember at some point when our young girls in the 60s and 70s in Harlem and Brooklyn and Queens, right, all over in every city, Philadelphia, right, um, you know, West Philly, right, all over. Right, Mount Airy, right? People were people were doing the double dance as a part of our community life. Right? And and I think we have to realize that, that this is our strength. Our culture, the spiritual culture is our strength. Um our our low culture is what they're what they what they're promoting for our young people. And we've got to find a way. And that's why I was so glad that Juneteenth happened the way it did. One, I think it better positions us to make a reparations demand against America because it admits through the holiday that it committed the crime. But I also think because we need these spiritual gathering places. We can, we can have a 21st century cultural revolution in America if we use Juneteenth right. We got to use Juneteenth right as a homecoming like we used to do with the black church. If you're from Philly and you left Philly, go back home on Juneteenth to Philly from anywhere. Go home to Philly. And at Philly, y'all got to have everything set up for everybody to come home in their neighborhoods, at the neighborhood level. Set it up. And this is how we can have cultural revolution and cultural revival at the incremental local level. This ain't hard. This is easy. Juneteenth, next Juneteenth, organize your neighborhood. Get ready between now. It was April. May. Well, you probably ain't got time now. (laughs) 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 But you get the idea. I think these, these Kawanga's wisdom in creating Kawanza, for it took me a long time to get to it because I used to be opposed to it. But I understand it now. I understand that we need our own spiritual celebrations to keep ourselves together as a people. If the black church dies, the way people always criticize in the black church, Elliot, yes, it's full of flaws. But do you know if the black church ceases to exist, black America ceases to exist? The black church is us. And the day it goes away is because we've gone away. Now, what we can do instead of getting rid of the church or going away is convert the church to us instead of converting us to the church. Convert the church to this mindset we're talking about of independence. Try to find independent pastors, men and women, who will promote, you know, the agenda that we're talking about. But we have to find... um, like-minded people, and all you brothers and sisters who call yourselves having a black political party, what are y'all waiting for? Stop being held back through the paralysis of analysis and stop thinking about it. Just go ahead and start. Get you and your people together. Roll it out. Study the laws in your state for party registration. I did that in California, Elliot, because I'm doing all this talk. I figure. I better figure out what the rules are in California. 
can we start a Black Panther Party in Oakland? I'm here, and I've talked to other people, one of my Berkeley students, when I used to teach at Berkeley. I talked to one brother. He has a hip-hop TV channel. I talked to him, like, we need to start a local black political party and call it the Black Panther Party in Oakland, and only one in Oakland, nowhere else, just in Oakland against the Republican Democrats, as a model for what can be done in Atlanta or what can be done everywhere in Philly. Um, but you need, you, you have to get started with people, because I think what's happening is all these people who do have organizations of independent politics, like the million more, the one million more, more voters, and um, the independent black political party and the black party and Puffy and Ice Cube is they're all waiting. That's, I mean, let me just say that differently. They're all waiting. They're all waiting. Why are y'all waiting? Why don't you just go ahead and do it? It's not going to be perfect. There's no perfect way to roll out a political party. You just do it and then you tweak it. And in California, I think you need, oh boy, I don't want to say it off the top of my head because you can Google it. But I thought it was like 100, maybe somebody could tell me. Uh, I thought it was like 175,000 votes statewide that had to be gotten, I mean, signatures that had to be gotten before a party can be formed on the state ballot. But in every state, there are rules. Mm-hmm. And in all 50 states, the Republicans and Democrats work together to keep independent parties from, like Lenora Filani did, of being 50 statewide. If you could do what Lenora Filani did and have a, you know, a, an acceptable candidate to radicals and moderates and liberals, perhaps, you could have an effective uh, a third-party strategy. But we, we've had enough people do enough things in our history, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, back in the 1800s, to do this as an enlightened people. We are an enlightened people. We are an enlightened black people on the earth. The, the technology of the internet, I'm in, I'm in Silicon Valley, so you got to realize you're dealing with somebody who you know, who speaks to these schools out here in, in, in you know, in, in, in um, Santa Clara. I go to these colleges, these tech schools all the time, ask me to come and talk to them all the time. So the, there's great potential. We have to take technology and master it for good for our elevation, not for our own, um, uh, you know, following. Um, I think what Kevin Samuels was doing was a necessary intervention. We need to have those kind of conversations all over black America. So if Kevin Samuels was a devil, or if he was a prophet, black people should get together and have conversations about what he was talking about, right or wrong. But at least let's have conversations. Let's start brothers and sister circles in our homes, you know, at the local level. No, don't do nothing national. Do it in your home, just a handful, small circles, and don't let people start messing with each other. Keep to your wife and leave everybody else alone and, and mind your business and focus on the program in front of you in terms of how to develop local initiatives all over black America. This is what we got to do. We should be doing independent things all over black America. That, that's my main message in this whole dialogue and, and, and conversation is we should be doing many different independent things all over black America. Whatever works at the local level, based on the local history, the local relationship to all of the factors like police, school boards, um, labor relations, the nature of work in those cities. Um, is it like a political city like D.C. or Philly? Uh, is it a labor city like Detroit or, say, um, Compton? Oh, that's probably better. You know, like Detroit or, or, let's say, Cincinnati? Is it, um, is it a, you know, a, a hood like Compton or, you know, or... Um, or you know, East, East, uh, you know, 
he's, he's, he's orange, New Jersey, right? So, so, so then in each case, something unique needs to be tailored there. So that the Panthers are the example. They finally figure out, use Oakland as a model, and then show black America what can be done. That's what Fred Hampton was trying to do. Fred Hampton rejected the white radical violence because he said, now nah, you white boy, you going to come up here and start blowing up shit because I'm starting to fight and, and Chicago PD going to come and kill our people. So they rejected the radical violence of the white, but they came up with civil society programs. And that civil society is the part of black life that we need revived. We need black civil society to be revived. What is black civil society? Pretty much everything in black life. It's everything that taxes normally go toward. But you aren't using taxes for it. You're using volunteerism. You're using people power. You're using community power to empower people. Um, we are at an important juncture in black America. We are growing. We're moving back south. Those are the two patterns that are happening amongst black America. Those of you who are capitalists and entrepreneurs, that's where you need to pitch your tent. It's somewhere down south. Politically, the South is going to be black Americans in the next 50 to 75 years. So we should be organizing this kind of politics that I'm talking about. The problem is the, the, the black Southerner, psychologically and sociologically, is not as offended by white supremacy and white racism as those of us in big cities like New York and Philadelphia and L.A. and Chicago. We get way more offended by it. And you find many black Southerners make their peace with white supremacy at the local level as long as it don't hang them from a tree. And so we got to figure out how, as black people are moving back south to form electoral majorities in county districts, how we can take control of local politics and dominate. Georgia in November 2020 is the tipping point of what is possible for the future of black politics in America. We can do it as Democrats. We can do it as Republicans, like we used to be. We can do it as independents, like I advocate. Or we can advocate for a different kind of system entirely, like a proportional representation system, like they have in Israel, like they have in England, where no matter what the case is, we get a piece of the pie. And that's what some of these early parties, these notes I took, I won't go over them because I've been long and long-winded, but a number of these political parties that we advocated for, for example, the Independent Black Political Party, they want control of the black community. They want a proportionality, they want a proportional representation system. So the Independent Black Political Party that you can Google online, that's mature politics. They're advocating local control and they're advocating proportional representation. Proportional representation means if there's eight pieces of pie and we and our group makes up one piece, then we get that piece. We get the piece that we represent. And that's what they have in Israel. That's what they have in England. That's what they have in a number of countries around the world where everybody gets something. With us, we, we get all or none with the Democrats. And then when the Democrats come into power, like Malcolm said in the piece you included in the beginning, the Democrats will have an overwhelming majority and still have a, a difficulty in getting our legislation passed. Now, look at this. The Democrats have two of the three chambers of government, right? 
They have this. They have the House, and they have the President. They don't have the Senate or the or the court. They got half the governorships. So basically, with the exception of the court, the Republicans are a minority party in in every way. Even even their voters are a minority compared to the Democrats. But they keep winning because they keep fighting. The Democrats don't love black people. And that's why they won't fight for you. That's why they won't go down with the ship. That's why Biden ain't willing to threaten Joe Manchin's grandmama and put a horse in his bed and give him an offer he can't refuse the way LBJ did. LBJ got 94% of the black vote. LBJ took his six-foot frame, four frame in every redneck segregation in his face, and he pointed in their fingers, in their faces, and threatened them, threatened their mamas, threatened their grandmamas, and LBJ got the war on poverty and um, great society legislation passed. And he got 94% of the black vote. He did more for black politics than any president in American history, LBJ, because he acted like they voted for him. Obama got 94% of the black vote and went there singing, uh, when it went singing Al Green, and I don't want to curse on your show, but I'm on a verse. <laughs> singing Al Green. Come on, you got so much love? Really? This whole vanity, and you know, playing into black women's vanity. That Obama has a lot to do with this black girl magic. Just be clear. This is an Obama effect. Black girl magic is not because black women awaken on their own. They they came in and felt like they delivered Obama, and then they just kept on feeling themselves. And felt like they were the number one riders for Hillary when black men were number two and black men who are fewer in the electorate because of the prisons, et cetera, and, and age end up outperforming black women. But black men have been the most fantastic voters in America since 2007. For the past 15 years, black men have been the stars, but black women are the ones taking all the credit. Let me grab these. Who, who, who's number one for Hillary? Black women. Who is number two? Black men. Not a white, not white women, not Latinas, not other women. Black men were number two for Hillary, and yet, black young people made sure that that support was not enough for her to win because they suppressed about four percent of her support. So we were doing multiple things. Our young people made sure she didn't win because of her super predator nonsense. Um, uh, and then you know, as 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 she ran. Um, you saw that they, uh, you know, confronted her, and and then they, you know, came into their their sort of consciousness at that time, um, uh, you know. But 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 that that was a, the peak of Black Lives Matter uh, as a as a movement, um, to the point where you know the media is calling everything that happens to Black people now, uh, you know, George, uh, even George Floyd, which happened six or seven years after uh, Black Lives Matter, and they called George Floyd's protest the largest Black Lives Matter protest in American history. Austin Grant ain't have nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Uh, uh, Tamir Rice ain't have nothing to do with, with that movement. Those people went from Oakland, where they took over one movement here, and then went to uh, Ferguson and took over that movement and made it about sexuality. And now we can't even talk about sexuality. Now, now the conversation, how do you all think we got here? How the hell do you think we got to where we are, where, Je- where, where Dave Chappelle can't talk about transgender now? That came out of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is the mother of the transgender movement. Let me take it these, created it. Let me take these last couple calls here, Dr. Yes, let's go I to two. To, I want to start some trouble. Come on, let's start it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go. go. Let's go to 215. 215. 
Yeah, good evening, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard. Hey, how you doing, Professor Taylor? How you doing, my good brother? Good, I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, praise be to Allah. You know, you know, Professor Taylor, like the previous caller, like many of my sentiments about you, 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 you keep it real. You bring it, uh, Professor Taylor. You, you bring it, man. You, you real. You know, it's nothing phony, nothing, nothing pretty about you. That's coming. You coming right down the like a, like a, like an empire in baseball. You call them the way you see them. You know what I mean? I appreciate it. And you walk, I mean, that's all one could ask for. You know, you know, Professor Taylor. I'm gonna say my comments for the black, about the Black Panthers last, but you know, I'm glad. Yeah, I appreciate your comments about the Honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan and Kevin Samuels because you know, you know, see, sometimes people get caught up in personality. You know, you can hate Minister Farrakhan all you want. If that's your, your, if that's your choice, but you can't deny the effect that this man has on black people. How he can get young black men. To clean up, you know, get the attention and try to steer them in the right direction. That's undeniable. You can hate him to the cows come home, but you can't take away what that man, can, what, what what the effect that he has on Black America. That, that that's not even up for discussion and stuff. Right. Number two, when you mentioned about uh, T. Diddy and, uh, and Puffy and them, I never forget Professor Taylor in North Philadelphia, where I used to live at. I'm up here in the Mount Airy section, East, East Germantown now. I think it was back in 2004, I may, it may have been. I may got the years wrong, but I think it was somewhere in that time when George Bush, second Bush, when, that, when I think when, it, when that devil ran for re-election, Puff, Puffy and a, and a group of other, I think it was Puffy and a group of other black rappers, they stood in front of the historic Uptown Theater in, in North Philadelphia with many black Great black acts came came through Marvin Gaye, the Jackson Five, Aretha Franklin, you name it. They all came through the historic up, just like the Apollo up in New York. And, and Puff Daddy was on the megaphone because some of my friends was, was, they attended the event. I didn't attend, thank God. But he, and he was up there said out of his own mouth, "Vote or die, vote or die." I'm like saying, well, "Nigga, what is you talking about?" Vote or what the hell? I'm like, what kind of dumb stuff? Vote or die? What that supposed to mean? You know? Yeah. And like you yeah. said, if you were serious about it, like you said, if he was serious, he would have been had a follow up. He would have been, you know, he, you know, before Biden got in there and all the rest of them, Trump or whatever. If you were serious about that, you have been organizing all along. But it just shows you how these niggas play games with our people, okay. man. That's why they get up there and talk that stuff. I'm not even trying to hear that stuff, Professor Taylor. If Kanye or or, or Jay Z or let's say Drake today mm-hmm. told young told young people, young people, not just black, young people, we want you all to get fifty thousand signatures in every state in America to register a party. Do you know they could get it done overnight? Oh no doubt, no question. They have that power because the young people will do it on their own once they are given the inspiration. Sure, these people have influence, and they won't. They wouldn't. Of course, they wouldn't use that influence. Malcolm had that power, and when NYPD saw it, they said that man had too much power. But that's the kind of power they have, but they're just talking. I I was upset with Ice Cube, not because he wasn't an elitist and coming from an academic standpoint. I was Mm -hmm. angry because I felt like he didn't have the right people other than Claude Anderson at the table. But I also felt like um, Ice Cube and then weren't serious because the real work is now, not when the election starts. Not when the campaign is going on, when you're talking about we should have our own party. Now is the when serious people do serious work, and then when it culminates in, a, in the election, it shows that work has been done. So we should see in the next election or two cycles the result of Puffy and Cube's work if they were serious, but they've never exactly. been serious. 
Exactly. And Professor tell him, you're absolutely right. And my last call on the Black Panthers, see, that resonates with me because, see, nobody can tell me I'm a 60-year-old black man, Professor Teller, and I lived it. I know what you're talking about is real. And and, and, I, and I'm glad you cited, the, the I think, the brother that's, that's, that's running the Black Lives Movement, the way it's supposed to be ran. I appreciate you acknowledging that because so, so many other chapters have did it wrong. Like you said, they, 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 they come around with a black man get killed by the police, but they're not there in the community, like you said, with sickle cell anemia things, uh, the the yeah. breakfast program, and and, and 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 I'm glad you said it, Reverend. I mean, uh, Professor Teller, because it resonates with me because I grew up in in North Philadelphia as a young man in the early, in the mid and late seventies before we wow. moved up, before my family moved up here to Germantown, and we had a wow. black I, we had a Black Peppers headquarters right around the corner from me. Wow. I lived on Bancroft Street. The Black Panthers headquarters between Bancroft and 16th and Susquehanna Avenue. And, Profe- and, and Professor Tubb, what you're saying is so true. My father was a truck driver. Your knowledge, your knowledge is greater knowledge. And, and that kind of quality detail right there is the, is the kind of knowledge that's all around Black America, not being tapped. Just, just what you said, you educated me to a street, to, to a zero point, you know, to a bullseye. And for, all I can say is Philadelphia's you know, Panthers, but you can talk about the, the building and, and everything that, that implies everything connected to it. And that's what I think forums like um, Time for Awakening and the Carl Nelson yes. show and some yes. of the other independent black radio programs and, and shows are, are due for us is they allow the audience to speak. And a lot of times the audience is more intelligent than the guest. And, and your, your, your comment is very powerful. Well, Professor, I appreciate that because, like I said, they, they did so much for our community back then because, like I said, I remember they had they had a sickle cell test for our people and stuff, make sure they got exact, they got their test for sickle cell anemia. And see, my father, like I said, he was a truck driver, and my mother was a factory worker, and we was, in, we was better off. We was far from rich. We was poor working poor, too, but we was better off than some other black people. Let me say this clearly, Professor Teller, where not for the black Panthers and stuff, Many of black children would have went to school hungry because I went to Duck, Duck Elementary School, which many of my classmates and many of my you know people, my friends in the neighborhood went to Duckery because that school was just built after Clagcorn Elementary had burnt down, so Duckery was built. The Black Panthers had a breakfast program, so some of the black children who came from families that wasn't as fortunate as mine, they would be hungry, and they would go around the Black Panther and they would give them a, not no cheap breakfast, they would give them eggs. Bacon, pancakes, oatmeal, cream of wheat. Them children went to school with a, with a full belly, and as you know, Professor Teller, it's hard to learn on an empty stomach. And the black right. people would get them; they would get them milk, orange juice, those, and a lot of times I would just go around and eat breakfast with my friends, you know, just to be with them. And so even though I had food at the house, I would still go around and eat breakfast with them, eat the, the oatmeal, the pancakes, and stuff. So the black peppers did so much, and like I said, well, I'll always be grateful for them because they was able to make sure that black children went to school with a belly full, and like I said, they had they, they had all kinds of uh, strainers, health strains around there. I, mean, I remember like it was yesterday, Professor Teller, and like and I said... And, and, that's, and, that's why, and that's why I have a beef with Black Lives Matter starting with, with the police. I understand it was the cause to, you know, the catalyst to mobilize around, yes. but the idea that they have not, in this time, since I think it was 2014, they, eight years later, they have not come up with a comprehensive Black community-focused program. What they're doing is BSing us with games and trying yes. to act like they're busy, yes. and then they're waiting for the next brother to be shot to raise more money. And they don't. In other words, the Panthers, when the Panthers organized, every black community, wherever black people were, mobilized with the inspiration. Like in other words, 
the Panthers didn't have to go to Tallahassee to organize black folk in Tallahassee. Tallahassee saw Oakland, and Tallahassee organized itself, right? It inspired, yes. That happened all over in America, in Israel, in Australia, in New Zealand, all over. Young people around the world were inspired by the Panthers um, to, to do something, right? And I'm saying Black Lives Matter, in my opinion, it should have either turned to the political front and run as a political party, Yes. Or it needed to focus on the community civil society programs. It needed to do, and I'm not talking about what, like they probably can, we probably can go on their website and they probably got a bunch of items, bullet points, all mm-hmm. the stuff they're doing. And yet we don't know it. We don't feel it. The Panthers did not have the internet. The Panthers did not have social media, but black America felt the Panthers. Yes, I, I, I couldn't have said it better, Professor Taylor. And, and, and like in the time, I'm not going to hold you up, Professor Taylor, to the next caller. But I want to thank you, Professor Taylor, because like I said, when you put up the Black Panthers, it resonated for me because, like I said, they 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 were the reason why many black children went to school for belly full as opposed to an empty stomach. Okay. And I will always be grateful to that okay. Black Panther chapter in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I, I seen them up close, personally, mm-hmm. these children. Nobody had to tell me I seen it. That's right. No, thank you. And, and I think, you know, and I, wanna, I hope I don't want to change you with this as a member of the nation, because no. I know the nation has a good relationship with, with the, the nations of gods and earth. But I just mm-hmm. recently published a piece on Clarence 13X uh, for uh, 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 Oxford University. I, I, I just about that, brother, yes. Mm-hmm. Clarence 13X is another one. His brother was brilliant. You know, he wasn't no star. He, he was just a, right. a, a brother that everyday people, we're talking about like Farrakhan and, and, and Kevin Samuels, I'm throwing Clarence 13X in there. Sure. Because people didn't understand how he was able to reach young black men the way he was. That's and correct. he wasn't no weirdo. He wasn't no weirdo. He wasn't no worship me. All he told young black men is you are God. Learn your lessons, learn the mathematics, and you'll understand who you are. And when That's you realize so who you are, you won't be a nigger. You won't be a thug. You won't sag. You'll stand upright, and you'll be a dangerous weapon. And that's what Clarence 13X did. And Kevin Sanders tapped into something valuable, and Farrakhan tapped into something valuable. And sisters have to do something more than simply say, we're being patriarchal. They got to try to figure out what's going on with their men, with their sons in general. And, and, And again, I've never seen before in my life a movement where black women focus only on themselves. I know, like I know. And, and, and see, Professor Teller, let me say this one thing last before I go. You're absolutely right, because I, I, you see how right now how black women, many black women letting themselves be used by white women with this abortion thing. You notice, you never see any of these white women came out when Sandra Bland was killed, uh, Breonna Teller. Now all of a sudden they want to drag black women up with them for this abortion because they're they white man, the Trumps of the world, and, 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 the, and the Cool Clans comments, and, and, and say, he don't want to take away the abortion, so now they want, want to drag black women, make black women the face of abortion. But they had no use for black women when Sandra Bland was killed, when Breonna Taylor was killed. See, and black women got to stop letting themselves be used like that, Professor. Yeah. That was a shame and yeah. a sin, man. It really is. Yeah. It really yeah. is. But, yeah. but anyway, Professor Taylor, thanks a lot. I'll, 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 I'll get off so somebody else can get on, but I'll put me on mute and I'll listen to the rest of the show. I'll do Thank that. You. And, and, and I see someone mentioned Charles Lowe's book in the in the comments, and I understand that his book actually delves deals with the Black Migration South. I haven't, I haven't read it, but the funny thing is, I was on Carl Nelson's show talking about that that phenomenon, and lo and behold, he wrote the book on it. And I'm like, okay, good, somebody's put it in print, but we need a conversation to understand. Black people have been in migration from 1870 to 1970, and from 1970 to 2022. That's, that's deep. We moved for 100 years of restlessness. 
And then we stopped in the 70s and decided to go back home. And now we've been going back home 52 years. And what happened in November explains why Georgia turned blue. As I said earlier, it had a plus 200,000. That's happening all over. That's, you know, in parts of Texas. But the, the, the real success we can have is if we don't try to have this big solution, this one-size-fits-all, I-have-a-dream-black-power philosophy. We need black power for Oakland only, and I have a dream for Atlanta only. Martin Luther King focused on Atlanta, develop a program in Atlanta, let somebody in Shreveport, Louisiana see it, and let them develop a program in Shreveport. The people in Shreveport are being observed by the people in, say, Philadelphia. Philadelphia saying, we can develop our own program in Philadelphia. And then over in Delaware, they develop their own program. And this is possible. And this, I think, makes it more manageable. Instead of uh, everybody trying to fit into this national model, realize we're not a national population like that. We are a nation within a nation, absolutely. And we have all these other issues we were talking about earlier, the internal colony. But in terms of our, uh, the way we're organized in the country, this is why Du Bois's Atlanta University studies, Du Bois's philosophy was uh, Grambling should study one thing related to Louisiana. Southern should study something else related to Louisiana. Let's say agriculture. Let's say the other does health. Howard should do law. Um, Atlanta University should do, um, you know, more academic work because that's where Du Bois was based and Du Bois was trying to do these studies. Du Bois' studies was that all of the black colleges all over America study black America where they are. In other words, if you're in Shreveport, the schools in Shreveport should educate black Shreveport about what their health, environmental, job, police, all of their relationships. So instead of us being useful to the black community at the local level where we are, everybody wanted revolution and wanted to just burn the whole damn system down with black militancy and not realizing the practical way you do that is to develop at the local level programs. This is what Stokely Carmichael understood. SNCC was a young organization. It wasn't an old organization. It wasn't old. There's never been anything like SNCC since. Young people have not generated anything compatible with SNCC since SNCC. So these were enlightened young people, young men and young women, and it was not a bunch of male patriarchs dominating the conversation like a lot of these young black women want to tell us. Black women dominated the circles of SNCC conversations, except Tima Clark and, um, and Daisy Bates. And Ella Baker was the mother over the whole damn project. A woman oversaw the whole project. Of, of, of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and black power. So, and yet the conversation you hear today is it was all a male thing because Bell Hooks was mad at her granddaddy. She, she got mad at her granddaddy because he beat her grandmama and I guess mad at her daddy because he beat her mama. And then she projected that onto all of us. And the same women that are, uh, that are dancing on the grave of Kevin Samuels were celebrating a month ago the death of, uh, of, of Bell Hooks as a sacred moment that we all should observe. Hell, Bell Hooks was way more vicious towards black men. There's no even comparison to what Bell Hooks said about black men in published writing for white consumption that fed into white feminist racism towards black men compared to what Kevin Samuels said. Kevin Samuels spent five years dogging black men, telling them they need to get their ass together, clean up, get your job together, take some pills, clean up your acne, save, wash behind your leg, you know, wash behind your butt. He, he got graphic <laughs> telling young men, get... He, he called himself the godfather because he, he had a conversation about, here's what you need to know about grooming. Clean your ears. Clean behind your ears. Put cologne on your wrist. These are the conversations he was having, too. But when, you know, 
when he stood up, all uh, people heard was, you know, uh, 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 high-value black man and low-life black woman, right? But the reality is these same people who are condemning and dry and dry hating on Kevin Samuels celebrated Bell Hooks, and she was deeply vicious in the things she published for white consumption about black men, um, all because she was mad at her granddaddy who was abusive. I didn't beat her, and I, I didn't, and I, and, you know, in, in other words, black men are not responsible for the violence of her granddaddy. And she can't project the violence of her granddaddy onto all. And even if she can find 50 other women in a room who've all been abused, all of those 50 women can only talk about those 50 abusers. They cannot talk about all black men. But what we've had for the last 30, 40, 50 years is this collaboration from the state with the welfare policies, um, the education system where professors like me, see the, the evaporation and the erasure of black boys or male students from the academy, regardless of race. There's hostility in, in this idea that maleness is automatically um, uh, negative and poison and toxic. A student of mine is, I have a very attractive student in my class right now, black girl mixed with Asian. Physically attractive, it's the obvious thing about her. I'm not lusting after her. It's the obvious thing about her. Everybody sees when they see her. They see a beautiful young woman. She's black and Asian. She came to my class Friday, and she told me she was accosted in the, in the streets of San Francisco. Somebody walked behind her and just grabbed her and, you know, and just pushed up against her. She was upset and shaken. She came to class anyway. And they were talking about, in, my, in a panel, one student was a radical feminist, and she's talking about all this. And I said, She's about this toxic masculinity. I said, well, you can call that toxic, but you needed the police. And that's toxic masculinity. In fact, I said, what you needed was not less toxic masculinity. What you needed at that moment was somebody to whoop that man's ass. You needed more toxic masculinity, not less, to save you in that moment. And I asked the whole class, full of feminists, how many of you in all your feminism, when the stuff goes down, you don't want a man who can fight around you? When you at the bar and somebody start acting up, or you at the beach and somebody start acting up and picking on your group, tell me you don't want a manly man around you. So let's stop playing these games. And black women have gotten caught up into these white women feminist games where now we're leading the march on transgender. Really? How the hell did we become the leaders of the transgender movement? But we did. How do we start off focusing on the body of Mike Brown and the body of Tamir Wright and the body of uh, the brother at, at the Walmart in Cleveland, Brother Jacobs. Or the body of, of, of Sandra Bland. Or the body of Renisha Wright, heterosexual or whatever. Black men and women being shot. And then our movement organizes around sexuality. That ain't got nothing to do with the shooting. And then you shame me for pointing out that y'all the one that shipwrecked the movie and re redirected it towards sexuality when it was focusing on the unresolved problem of being a colonial subject to colonial police forces that continue to occupy our community. Instead of us dealing with the occupation, we're talking about sexuality. This is some devil shit. <laughs> let, me grab this, <laughs> let me grab this last call. Let's go to New York City. New York. Yeah, what's happening, Elliot? Um... Amazing, bro. Just amazing. You know, the thing The thing that gets me is this. We make a critique and we make a criticism about Ice Cube 
um, Puffy, Drake, and all of these individuals. But we never make a real honest and sincere criticism about the evil that's been done to us by our so-called leaders, Maxine Waters and Claiborne and others. Now, let's take these individuals who are supposed to be the muckety-mucksters of black politics. All they've done, and, and let's be very clear on this, there's no dispute on this. All they've done since they've been in office over 20-some years is make white folks rich, family members and friends and themselves rich. And here it is, their communities over the 20 years have not grown and developed and done anything of significance to make black people lives better. Now let's let's just deal with vaccine mortars. That you can't say nothing about her. She's the most wicked out of all of them. Because anybody that's in California will tell you that her community has basically been decimated of black people. Let's look at Claiborne, his community. Let's talk about Atlanta. Everybody talks about black mayors and all this. The only time Atlanta was ever good for black folks was when Manny Jackson was the mayor. Let's be honest about it. The homeless rate and the employment rate in Atlanta is horrible. But the reality is the so-called middle-class Negro who the, who the devil sees are propped up as examples but whereby the everyday person that people always talk about need to come out and vote, what the hell are they coming out and vote for? That's why they don't come out and vote, because they never get nothing for their vote. And nobody's honest about it. You know what I'm saying? Perfect example in my community. Everybody talks about the great Charlie Rangel. Charlie Rangel was a piece of sugar honey iced tea. I could use one of the most prime examples about that Negro, the empowerment zone. The empowerment zone ain't empowered black folks. You understand what I'm saying? The empowerment zone should have been used to empower black folks. You know what it was used for? To bring in so-called businesses, which were box store businesses, owned and operated by major corporations of white folks to give Negroes miniature wage jobs and make them feel happy. That money should have been used for black ownership, home ownership, and all that. And mind you, that's going all over this country. There is no functioning black community in the United States of America on the level of other nationalities. There's yeah. no black community in this country that has ownership and control. But Negroes think they got something like black power. They think they got something going on when all they got is Negroes like Claiborne selling them out to a devil like Biden who don't care nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And we're in a situation where they're giving billions and billions of dollars to some Ukrainians, white folks, 
and here it is, black folks are starving and we critiquing uh, Ice Cube and we critiquing uh, Drake and Puffy when if we were really about our business, we were really about something as a people, Clyburn, Maxine Waters would embrace them. I'll leave you with this, prime example. They always talk about these fraternities and sororities, the most worthless niggas in the world. They can't even come together as a people and help my buddy, the so-called illustrious loving Negro Roland Martin to get 50,000 acts of his act. They can't, and now mind you, there's hundreds of thousands Millions collectively of the divine nine, and you can't even give the man fifty thousand downloads. That's the that's the type of sickness that we as black people suffer from. And then on top of that, what's even more egregious is the black organizations, NAACP, Dan, Urban League. All the Negroes care about is retaining their so-called position at the feet of the slave master. They're not doing nothing for black folks. Now, the solution is, the solution is, now, I may give Longwinded Taylor this, this little bit of credit. It's culture. If we understood what culture was and we came together on certain cultural principles, and certain economic principles in five years we could get out of this mess. But we not, we not, you know why? Because our so-called examples of leadership are worthless trash. And we just go along with it. And unfortunately, people like myself who've been lucky to get a little bit of money, we gonna survive. People like Taylor and his kids, they gonna be all right because Hopefully, if they don't get no serious debt paying for education, they'll be able to sustain whatever, hopefully, he'll be able to do. Others are going to basically be able to survive as part of that middle class. But on the total, black people are about to be absolutely decimated in this country. And the only thing that's saving other groups is this, their culture and their ability to have something to come back to, which is their community. And that's that's the real deal where we at in this country right now. We we are under the attack that we don't even understand because none of our so-called leadership will be honest with us, be truthful with us, or come together collectively and do anything from us. So anytime you talk about a Maxine Waters and praise her and Clyborn and the rest of them, I'll look you dead in the face and tell you they trash. Yeah, but that's what they are. They trash. Thank you very I, much. No, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate your comments. Um, you know, uh, you you usually get on me, so I appreciate you, uh, you know, your comments and just your analysis because I think you're right. Um, uh, I think you're right in terms of, you know, the same old, same old. And the bottom line is, you can listen to Malcolm talk about this. You can listen to Martin Luther King talk about this 50, 60 years ago. And we're still in that same basic arrangement. And until th- there is some kind of independent effort, 
again, Cruz said in 1987, if we had not done it by 2000, everything after 2000 is the end of black politics. So we're not doing black politics anymore. We're doing Democratic Party politics. And I think that's what he meant. Our priority could be our politics or it could be the Democratic Party's politics. And unfortunately, we went to the Democratic Party when we should be, we should, it should be natural for us to have a black party in America. And, and for some reason, even when you see the history of our ancestors for 100 years, established parties, most of them failed, but they still showed us what they were thinking, what was possible. Yes. Callie House showed us reparations was the, our key politics. All of these things were distracted by integration and the, this, you know, the sort of decentering and the explosion of the black community with integration and the integration mindset. Again, Cruz says in that 1973 article called Black and White, uh, Lessons for the Next Stage. That's the name of the article. It's hard to find. But he says effectively that black people must mobilize their spiritual culture on every front, at every place, in every local level, wherever there's a black city or a black population, he says we have to mobilize our spiritual culture there and build on it there. So Juneteenth is a part of our spiritual culture. What, what do I mean by that? Now that we have Juneteenth as a national holiday, we didn't need it because we were already doing our own thing. But now that it's a national holiday, and hopefully it doesn't become routinized like everything else, but the idea is now we can begin to start around you know, continuing conversations about the injury to black people, the nature of the injury, the extent of the injury, and what it did to white people, how, how immoral they've become, how sick they've become, how they've become okay with evil in the name of Jesus and okay with evil in the name of capitalism. How we are now in a world full of evil that they've formulated using their high Western culture. And look at the yield. is misery, death, violence, World War Three, right? So the spiritual culture of the European is not good enough to sustain black people. So we can imbibe all we want through integration, but what they got, they, the offer can't sustain you. Our spiritual culture is something that, we, that is inventive. So you can watch TikTok right now and just watch a bunch of black kids stand up and, and, or watch a, a Wild and Out show with Nick Cannon and just watch our culture. Just watch our young people. Every, they are dynamic, they are, they are charismatic, they are superior in their words, their oracular articulation, their music, their rhythm, their vibe, their intelligence. We have so much to work with as a people, to, to build within America. But part of the caller from Harlem, the brother that just called from New York, um, part of, I think what he's explaining is part of what we talked about in the very beginning, Richard, is the problem of the colonial predicament. So the reason why Maxine Waters keep coming up short to him, the reason Clyburn keep coming up short, the reason why the CBC and anybody else comes up. I mean, can anybody here think of an, a politician that was perfect? Do any of you have a perfect politician? Oh, and if so, you know, I don't, we don't have to tell us, but I'm just wondering, as a rhetorical question, I don't know if I can think of a politician who I've actually loved. I never loved a politician. Like, I love the Yankees. You know, I love, I love, I love hip-hop. I don't love a politician. I like Barbara Lee here in, in Oakland. You know, she stood against Bush. She's on the right side of most issues, on the right side of cannabis. She's on the Cannabis Equity um, uh, a Congressional Committee, the first black person on it. Um, she was, you know, she's right on progressive issues. She's right on health care. She's right on women's issues. She's right on, violence, on war and policing. So Barbara Lee is probably the closest thing I can get to a, 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 you know, 
a beloved politician. But most of us don't have politicians that we love. The nature of the beast is unlovable. So we're always going to find shortcomings in every politician because it's the nature of what they do. Um, uh, hopefully we can find someone that we can identify with who does support most of our policy positions. And then we have to also remember this conversation today is only about politics in terms of, you know, the main stage. That's the main stage of this conversation. So everything else we've talked about is, you know, collateral to it. But the main focus is within the American political system, within the American party system, what are the options and alternatives and routes available to black people? And I've tried to be as much as I'm, I love, you know, like a jazz man going all over the place. Like, you know, I'm, I'm more like Charlie Bird Parker uh, or, 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 or Muck, because they be go all over the place, you know, um, than, you know, than Count Basie. Um, I hope you get the, the gist of what I'm saying. Um, and that is that our, our spiritual culture is our, our most powerful force in our lives. And that includes our religion, but it's not only our religion. That includes our churches, but it doesn't only include our churches. It includes our secular culture, our worldly culture, our work labor culture, um, our street culture, our gangs, um, the underworld of black life, the ballers, the players, the, call, the shot callers, the club owners. We have a nation within a nation. The problem is we have not conceptualized what that looks like and what that means to us. And so now we're trying to figure out racial solutions to a colonial problem. So the brother that just called in from New York is frustrated with all of these problems of how imperfect black politicians are. Why? No matter how perfect they are, they're still functioning within a system that won't allow them to be perfect. Obama was better than he was. But we know the Republicans lined up against Obama so fiercely, they stole a, 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 a Supreme Court seat right in front of everybody. And they promised in front of everybody to make sure this Negro fails. So whatever Obama didn't do, you have to acknowledge he had a dedicated opposition to him, right? And that's the intention, is to always keep us subordinated. And that's why we have to form and develop independent entities, independent fulcrums, independent parties, independent circles, everywhere in black America and never try to make it into a one big thing. Keep it local, keep it local, keep it local, keep it local where the people are, touch what you can change. And I'll shut up after this, Elliot. I always tell my students, change what you can touch. If you can't touch it, send a card. I'm not worried about Palestine and Israel. I know I'm supposed to be an enlightened political science with a principal position on Palestine and Israel, right? BDM. A diverse, diverse. <clears throat> but I, I can't worry about Palestine and Israel. I'm, I'm worried more about the shootings happening in Oakland. And I need to deal with the problems of Oakland or Philadelphia or Chicago. You know, my sister, uh, 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 Daniel Outlaw, is, is your chief of police. She's not my blood sister, but she was a, a sister out here in Oakland who came from the girl, the, the police scouts as a little girl. And they raised her up through OPD. She became a de the deputy chief. They wouldn't make her chief. Then she went to Portland and went from Portland to Philly. So Daniel Outlaw is a good sister. I've, I've got Malcolm X and Mal I'm Martin Luther King on her wall and the pictures of her husband and her two black sons. So as much as she may be, you know, police in Philly, uh, Daniel Outlaw is the AKA sister who, who loves black people. And Elliot and, and brother Richard, we both could relate to her without, without that badge. Um, but again, we as a people have to recognize that part of our frustration is the part of a problem of definition as to what our predicament is. And we've had many brilliant people try to help us theorize this, and it always gets sidetracked away from a resolution of acknowledgement. Blauner's book, Racism, Racial Oppression in America, 
is the best book that outlines the theory of, of the internal colony and, and, and Harold Cruz theorizes around it. But we got to understand the 21st century, we got to do some more innovative, sophisticated things at the local level of politics, because I think anything top down can be manipulated and dominated and stopped by COINTELPRO type efforts. But if we start locally with a critical mass, look at what happened with marijuana. Marijuana started in Oakland with a store called Oaksadam, and on Broadway and, and like uh, 20, uh, 20th, people started going to school there, then they started a, a dispensary there, and next thing you know, who's talking about Amsterdam, now Oakland. Oaksadam, and next thing you know, from Oakland, cannabis becomes legalized nationally, or at least in about 18 states in D.C. now. And the same thing with gay marriage. Gay marriage starts on the steps of San Francisco City Hall with Gavin, with, uh, Gavin Newsom. It goes from that local thing to becoming a national idea. Reparations, starting locally. Evansville, Illinois. Asheville, South Carolina. North Carolina. Um, now Berkeley's joined. Berkeley, California. Oh, now the state of California's joined. Oh, now San Francisco is the largest city in America from the local. Now we're talking reparations. Fifteen years ago, we could not have a conversation about reparations. We couldn't have no panel. We couldn't have a reparations committee in the city of San Francisco like we do right now or have Evanston, Illinois, or Asheville, Asheville uh, North Carolina set, uh, establishing program or Berkeley, California, or the state of California establishing committees. We couldn't have done this 15 years ago. But, and why your opinion in favor of reparations is higher now than it's ever been, even if it's 15%, it's still higher than it used to be. It used to be negative zero. So my point is we're making great progress. We got to keep it on, and we got to keep trying to be innovative, and we need somebody, all you folks that's online claiming to be political parties, we need y'all to let us know who you are, raise up, and become noteworthy so that we can see your example and try to replicate it. But you can't just say uh, an Internet black political party. You know, you, you are, you, we can Google you and find you there only. You got to become a, a living organization beyond paper, and all of you organizations that are sitting around talking about independent party, you realize there's never going to be a perfect time to start? Just get going and, um, and, and stop waiting. Stop waiting for some charismatic person. Stop waiting for some Jesus moment um, to awaken you. Real work is not in front of everybody. It's incremental. It's lonely. It's isolated. It's with a few people, but you know you're doing the work of the Lord and the work of our people in the long run. So I think, Elliot, I've talked your audience's ear off. They're probably like, man, this man, this man wear me out. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, go ahead, Richard. Wait a minute, say that again. I couldn't hear you. The paper that um, um, Dr. Taylor, you mentioned about Howard Cruz, that paper that he wrote. You said, oh, it's called, it's called Black and White, Lessons for the Next Stage. It's um, serialized in the Negro Digest and Black World. So Negro Digest changed its name to Black World, and it did it right around that time. So it's kind of like, it's like, it, it was going to be his next book, but it never got into a book. But it's called Black and White, Lessons for the Next Stage, and it was serialized um, in uh, the Negro Digest. And he's just sort of outlining this deep theory of Black culture and cultural revolution. Now, it's in the, I think much of the argument is in the crisis of the Negro intellectual. It is in the early pages. So if you read that, again, you pretty much get the still the gist of what he's arguing. But in, in this paper, he's trying to give black America some ideas as to how powerful their culture is if they would implement it only locally as opposed to a one-size-fits-all, I-have-a-dream-or-black-power program. Independent 
local programs is probably more innovative and they'll survive more and they're, because they're made out of local conditions and realities and not misfit ideas like putting black power in Oakland uh, down in Birmingham. It's like, oh, no, black power ain't going to fit in Birmingham. Black power fit in Oakland and Harlem, but you better find accommodation like Booker in Birmingham because then white folk will kill you. Talk, you know what I'm saying? So that, I think we can't attempt to have a one-size-fits-all black solution, except that the solution would be that we need many different solutions, many different approaches on many different fronts to impact as many of our people positively as possible. And we have to be hostile towards others politically instead of having this assimilationist Christian idea that everybody's our brothers and sisters. We need to be more like the Muslims and be like, nah, only certain people are our brothers and sisters. That's what we need to do. Before we leave tonight, uh, Professor, <clears throat> Professor Taylor, I uh, want to thank you for giving a uh, political science perspective on yes, sir. how we should organize uh, let me say this before you go, because you might not be familiar, and then you might, because we've had several. It, it's going to be some exciting things happening before this year is out. Uh, the uh, Black Political Convention is going to happen in Newark. Uh, sure. We just had uh, one uh, the organizers on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's an independent uh, Black Radical Convention happening in Pittsburgh in July. Okay. Uh, several of the, uh, the Black is Back Coalition, which is out of Florida, they have, they have ran candidates. Right. Uh, the Universal People's Organization, he's been on call several times. Zaki Buri in Minnesota, uh, Missouri, they have run candidates. Jemis uh, nice. People's Party in Maryland, the New African Independence Party in Pennsylvania have run candidates. So it's and then you got Charles Barron, who's a Black radical politician up in New York that mm-hmm. I know you're familiar mm-hmm. with. So you you've got people that's working, and. Right. Uh, the more and more, you know, we use our medium to showcase them, then the more right. and more people will hear about things. That's so it. it's, it. a, it's a lot of things happening. We're going to, uh, I'm going to try to uh, tie you in with some of those folks because yes, I sir. think they need advice from people that are political scientists. Uh, yeah, so they can kind of, yeah. So we'll, we'll um, and we'll get you back on. It, it's been a while since yeah. you've been on, but we got to yeah, get you back on. So some perspectives on different things out. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be in touch. Thank you. And take care, everybody. And Brother Griffin, I'm sorry I couldn't answer all your questions, but I appreciate you putting them in there. And I, I took a lot of your comments to heart, so I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody who's on. Take care, Brother Elliot. Take care, Brother Richard. Dr. Taylor, talk to you soon. All right. Richard. Yes. It was, uh, you know, it was interesting conversation and listening to uh, Dr. Taylor, but uh, he kind of gives a perspective that um, – because listen, it's clear to me and you that moving forward, our people need to be organized. And when you're talking about leadership, and I'm not talking about Democrat necessarily Republican, we need organized leadership and uh, people with the expertise to help in the organization. We've had uh, political scientists on in the past, uh, Dr. James Lance Taylor, uh, Earl Henderson, Ezra Aron, which wrote the books on uh, sovereignty. So we've had perspectives from these men in the past, and they're going to help a lot of the men that are organizing now. So, you know, we uh, and I agree with what he said about the blueprints is already there. We just need our people to be organized and act on them. And that, that's happening now. So... Uh, and it has happened in the past, but 
we see a lot, a lot more organized efforts happening now. Uh, Which say you uh, on the way out? Oh, I I agree. I agree. And the thing of keeping in mind that, uh, or at least I, I I I agree with the colonial framework, you know, and that we're that we're looking at when we talk about black politicians and even a class from a class structure, uh, a colonial, you know, a, a internal colonial conflict that, you know, no one else can resolve and you can't just talk them away. You have to fight them away by, as what he say, organizing locally um, and utilizing culture um, and, you know, emphasizing that the culture is, as he's called it, the nuclear bomb, you know, so, and, and, and the thing is that you have to, your organizing has to be able to be, provide um, services to people in order for them to identify and work and yes. or connect. It's not just about talking or, theory, you know, talking about what they need more than helping them provide. And it's not necessarily getting initially from someplace else, but with that sweat equity, that commitment and passion and or volunteerism is you, what we do in providing those programs. The Panthers had 66 programs. Um, um, Kwame Dre, they, they did that political education. That was direct services. This, and SNCC provided the, these are organizations that provided the infrastructure so that those young people can be able to carry out their, that work in spite of the threat of their lives, but the community protected them because they knew that this was what, um, that they were doing it genuinely for them. Yes. Um, so the, you know, he, he's, as he's providing that we, as he said, these are the things that we have done that you can just pick up and take it to the next, level. take it to the next level and fit and just understanding that we have to, and I like that low culture and put the high culture in front. We have to do that. We can't just talk about what's being presented because we know who's presenting it. We have to say, this is the high culture that we're going to support. This is the high culture we want to see. And we have to inculcate that Generation Z to understand, if not understand, at least identify those who do because they're doing that kind of work, support them, act, and you know, accentuate what they're doing, give them visibility and whatever kind of support compared to talking about the ones we are in true conflict with that are 50 years, 60 years old and they're blocking um, with support, you know, what these young people will be needing. We, so we have to be the barricade for them. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I take out. That's important. Um, what Dr. Taylor brings forward as a political scientist. And we have to use those political scientists, you know, uh, to help us work out strategy, yeah. which he was saying. I agree. I agree. Before we leave, <laughs> before we leave this evening, I want to give the lineup on Time for an Awakening, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Always interesting dialogue and guests on African Perspectives. That's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays later on Monday evenings. Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kambon and Dr. Kamal Kambon. That's 8 to 9. And from 9 to 10, Conversation Reparations. That's the first and third Mondays of the month with Brother Jomoke as host. On Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m., Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers. 
On Wednesday, it's our time, the Black Farmers Program from 8 to 9, and from 9 to 10, Black Agenda Report with Dr. David Muhammad. On Friday, Time for an Awakening is back from not, from 8 until, and on Saturday, the Elders of Sankofa from 7 to 9 with host Brother Alfonso Watkins. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion, as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of.
save the children To save the children